Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay. All right, we're back. Ted Lasso, Season 2, Episode 2, Part 2, 222, um, Lavender. We are going to jump right in. Um, I will say that I was just thinking that um, podcasting is sort of uh, effective podcasting really requires central air conditioning because a few of us are in like Satan's ass right now. (laughs) And, and if you put a fan on or, you know, have a AC running in the background, like what coach where you are, what, what is the temperature right now? I assume we're in the uh, low eighties at this point. I, uh, and my AC had to be turned off. So yeah. All right. But the blinds are down. We're going to keep the actual sun from baking us. So we'll get some, you know, we'll just get sort of the roundabout heat going on. But uh, this is what we do to bring you the magic people. This is the type of sacrifice. I, <laughs> I, have, a t- I, I have a tiny little desk fan. It's, it's about four inches in, in diameter. And, um, I'm just staring at it. It's off and it's just <laughs> mocking me. Just sitting there, just yeah, looking yeah, at you. Sitting there looking like I'm like, that's pointless. Um, okay. So, uh, we are jumping right back in where we picked up, um, uh, where we left off. I'm sorry. And we were talking about masculinity, um, how Ted Lasso sort of, sort of, uh, shows us a sort of different version of masculinity than you typically see on most shows, how they play with our expectations when we think, uh, Roy comes home, fucking brain development, um, walks upstairs. We fully expect something having to do with Jamie. Um, and the reveal is that, uh, Keely is, is having a wank to, um, masturbating, uh, to, uh, a, a video of Roy being sensitive and passionate and vulnerable, uh, is, is, is the way Keely phrases it. Um, we did not talk about, uh, the, the concept of dogging, I don't believe. Did we bone last time? I don't know who else would have brought it up, and I don't remember specifically. <laughs> but I say a lot of stuff, so I've probably said a lot of things I don't remember. Um, dogging, yeah. Uh, Roy says that uh, what essentially gets him off is uh, people having sex in cars in public because he could never be that free. And um, I... I think that I might have mentioned before there is a comedy, a comic who does a song about dogging and explains that that's what the British call it, which, hey, you know, it, these are Shakespeare's people. They came up with great terms for a lot of really good things, as far as I'm concerned. That's true. And in typical Ted Lasso fashion, I mean, it it, it gleams the cube a little bit. Uh, I mean, on the concept of so something you don't see a whole lot of is, is women masturbating on television. Um the, the sort of Judeo-Christian ethic uh, will will has has sort of relegated that to the whispers of television rather than the <laughs> the on-screen performance of it. Um, uh, you also have, oh, sorry, uh, you have uh, something to say about that, Bone? 
I, I was only going to say one of the things is that when it is, it is relegated to the whispers, it's either wildly over-sexualized because I guarantee you there isn't a woman alive who is putting up that many candles when she decides to masturbate. Like whatever the scene is that you're thinking, it doesn't happen. <laughs> That's not how it goes. But also there are very few scenes where women masturbating gets to be funny. Sometimes dudes get to be funny if they're masturbating or if there's an implication that they were masturbating. Women never get to be funny when they're masturbating. And there's all kinds of funny stuff down there that happens. Noises and, you know, movements. It's uh, it's a comic minefield that nobody, uh, comic, nobody's minded is what I'm trying to say. When you say down there. Just yeah. to clarify. <laughs> I don't I, think we're allowed to talk like that at work anymore. Oh, oh that's right. Okay. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I, meant, this I is, meant ankles, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are these are taboo subjects. And and uh lest lest this turn into a three hour podcast, I'd also like to point out that pornography is a taboo subject. And they tackle both in this scene in a way that I think is uh, refreshing and normalizing and um, healthy as hell. Uh, yeah. And- that, sorry, I'm just going to jump in there, Coach, because I love that you said healthy as hell. And 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 for me, that was probably the, the, the most fun part of the scene, is that it wasn't, you know, he, he was amused, but it was, and, and even after, you know, the reveal, um, it's it's not about, you know, oh, like, does this mean that there's something wrong with our sex life or whatever? It's just, you know, she was just being a human over there and he could get that. So I I, I, I like the that it was almost um it was more it was more amusing than, you know, some great revelation about Keely. Yeah. Well what's wrong with it? I, I just I this is what I, it just feels like God, why is this so taboo in 2022? It feels like, I mean, it's going to get more taboo as Gilead continues to take over. But um, holy shit, like, you know, this is very, this should be very rudimentary and very run of the mill. um, But it ends up being quasi groundbreaking, (laughs) which is so sad. It's just so sad. Um, But I love Bone. I love what you say about uh, uh, giving giving, uh, Keely the option or or the, the, the ability to sort of, have a funny moment inside of inside of that that um, uh, masturbation thing, you know, whatever. Inside of her masturbating, she's allowed to throw the phone, and um, and we get some insight into, you know, what what makes her tick, and what maybe something that's been missing from their relationship. What I didn't find healthy was Bone sharing the candles thing because that was told to you in confidence, Bone. And I feel. <laughs> I just I don't even know what to say to you right now. I, Orlando, uh, can you coach Coach Bishop? Can you, <laughs> listen, just you and I both have ADHD. This can correct. you fucking imagine? Like, I, okay, listen. Let's say we plan on a romantic night for our significant others, both yes. of whom are are talking about significant. They are significantly better than each one of us. Oh, by leaps and bounds. Yeah, we we quote unquote married up. Um, <laughs> like galactically married up. Um, but imagine if we were dumb enough to try to paint the perfect romantic situation yeah. for either one of our significant oh, yeah. others. And then we got like 38 candles. Oh, Jesus Christ. And started lighting them. Can you imagine by the time we got to like candle 14, 
you'd be like, shit, the other one's like, oh, can't, I just can't. It. It's all I'm like getting hives thinking about <laughs> trying to attempt that. It's yeah, a it's fire amazing. hazard. Like it's a fire hazard. You can't keep them all lit at the same time. It's going to be 10 degrees hotter in the room. None of that is conducive for boning. I don't understand why it became the sexy thing. Like there's mood lighting that you could do with electricity. I don't understand. <laughs> I love the I love the I love the conviction on uh, the, the the ardent support of electricity there, but uh, let's I'll allow us to move on. I just realized I've been uh, for people who are listening where I'm calling boss bone. Uh, I just realized I was calling you bone bone our boss. Mm. There's boss and bone, and I have been I referring to it. you as bone, uh, and now you're just we're talking about boning. So Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of siblings, including two sisters, so I respond to basically any name at this point. <laughs> so it's in Keely, my direction, it's fine. No, I get it. Thank you. Um Keely uh and Roy, we're gonna move through this a little bit, but she generally redirects the conversation to say, Hey, listen, uh this isn't you be p- being pathetic. Uh, it's hot. And you haven't been like that since you, since you left football. And he's just looking at the reality of it, which is something I totally get. And he's just like, I, I can't, uh, can't play anymore. Like I want, it's not like a lack of want. I want to be around football. I can't. It's how it works. She says, try the pundit gig. He doesn't want to fucking do that. Um, and she says, you're just like Jamie. You know, you miss it, Roy. I know you do. You're just like Jamie, which I was like, God, it's a weird thing to say. Roy says, I didn't think this conversation could get any worse. Um, and then she t- tells him about the, the, uh, how she met up with Jamie. Um, and he wants to come back and play for Richmond and they're both feeling lost. And at least Jamie is trying to find his way back, which I thought, Oh God, that is a very clever way to frame, <laughs> to frame this for a ultra competitive person. Mm-hmm, Did that mm-hmm. ring true to you at all, uh, coach? Absolutely. I, I, I felt like it was, yes, he reacts to uh, like, them even being compared, but I think, and he's doing it a little better than you are, was definitely uh, a great way to get him to to turn the corner there. So Roy uh, uh, says, fine, fuck it. I'll try it. Uh, she shames him into it. Um, uh, but when it sucks and he hates it, he's going to hire a bunch of children to follow Keely around and scream, told you so, told you so for centuries. One quick note. I don't think that that was shame. I think that that was spite. I think that if you properly harnessed enough spite in the world, we wouldn't need fossil fuels anymore because there's nothing more powerful than it. That's a good point. That is a good that. point, boss. Yeah. He's like, fuck it. So you think he's just like, fuck you. I'll show you how much I hate it. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'll show you how wrong you are when I hate this so much. I've been tricked into much worse than it, talking about soccer. <laughs> Continue. I was like, all day here. All day here, boss. I, I, um, well, actually, what I should say, um, I've mentioned before, I don't have kids because I don't want them because I've met them before. I do have three nieces and a nephew who I love with my entire self, and my entire parenting style with them is, I'll bet you can't do that. And then whatever it is, I trick them into doing, oh, I'll bet you, you can't clean up your toys in three seconds, and then they do it. And that's great because then I don't have to do anything. And it's to the point now where the oldest one who was 10 has tricked the younger ones who are five and two into doing the same thing. They're like, oh, I'll bet you can't eat all your applesauce. And I'm like, great. It's trickle down parenting. 
I don't even have to watch these kids anymore because they're taking care of each other with the spite. I love everything about that. Just everything <laughs> about that. that was phenomenal. That was just that was that was, that was a masterclass. Like I, I need to see you like up there with <laughs> Judy Judy Bloom and Neil deGrasse Tyson, boss on parenting. Uh, it's done deal. Yeah. It, which is perfect because I'm not a parent, so I should be speaking the most about it. Absolutely, absolutely. The best, the the mo- the most perfect parents are people who, in fact, have no children. That is something I have definitely gathered. Over they do years. give the best advice. Oh, I will say that they got yeah, it. No, figured I've out, learned baby. so much. Yeah, I've learned so much. Uh, but that was uh, insightful, uh, boss. Um, in a terrifying and God, I wonder what long-term ramifications this is going to have sort of way (laughs) nothing good i'll tell you that nothing good uh it is effective though there are versions of that that we all use to trick our children um i'm gonna toss this in and because i have as we say we won't take three hours to do this i'm like (laughs) you think so huh all right so um but i was coaching a kid who was by leaps and bounds the best athlete we had for a couple of years running. He was that good of an athlete, but all sorts of like attitude stuff um, and just didn't give his all. And one game in particular, I realized, I go, oh my God, because I had him at safety. And I was like, oh my God, they're picking on him. Like, not only is this kid who's like our best athlete, not the, not, making not not making plays and turning the game he's loafing to the point where the quarterback is like the best place i can throw it is in this kid's zone and in a way that i have done with i can't think of another athlete i've ever done this to i started laughing i started walking down the sideline i go i go oh my god they're picking on you i go they are throwing at you Oh my God, I feel bad for you. I cannot believe, I never thought, and I'm like going on and on about it. I'm like, oh my God, they're throwing deep to your side because you're there. And he's like <laughs> looking at me and he's getting, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like laughing. I'm like hands on knees, cracking up. I go, oh my, I've never... He slapped down the next four passes that were thrown. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Spike, it was, man. And it's not my usual coaching style at all, but it really was my honest reaction because I was like, you're the best athlete out here. That's outrageous. And uh, yeah, he got really pissed and he got really good. And it was a, it was a real, uh, it was an interesting moment in coaching. So sorry to digress, but that one came to mind. No, no, this is, this is all your in- coaching insights are, are perfectly suited to this podcast. Um, with the, uh, with the Ted Lasso of it all that, that I wonder, is that a Ted Lasso esque? Is that the Lasso way? I don't think or is, so. Or is that the, uh, 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 Nate the Great way? I think that'd be a little more Nate the Great. Well, see, maybe it's a, it's a blend of the two. Cause I think Nate really would be invested in the actual humiliation. I just thought, oh my God, like, is this how you want to live your life? <laughs> like it was more like that. It was like your buddy's like living in squalor in his apartment. You just come stand there and look around and go, really? Like this is what you're doing? That it was more of that energy. Like you can do better than this. Not you actually are shit. 
Yeah, I would have to say, I don't think it's that much different from uh, Ted's practice speech to Jamie in season one. Like when somebody isn't doing what they should be doing, there is a response from Ted and it isn't necessarily nice. I think laughing, if that's what got the kid to do it, that that's coaching. That That's the Ted method. You know what? You're right. And actually, it's a key coaching moment because that's the extra pass speech that ends yes. up bringing it all together in the end. So great, great insight, boss. I, 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 I'm going with you on this one. <laughs> Perfect. I yeah. love that I'm also now giving coaching advice. You because are. Because I've done a lot gonna... of that. Too. <laughs> that was great. Uh, so t- uh, we end with uh, Roy wondering what's happening with Jamie. Uh, they, uh, Keely says she told him he was talking to the wrong person. Roy's satisfied. And then we cut to the next scene, which is, uh, Ted eating alone at a bar. Um, and a, uh, army man is placed next to him. Now we pull back and we see that it's, uh, Jamie Tart and, uh, the famous, uh, one and only Jamie Tart, um, recently voted off of what was the, what was it? Love, Love Island. What was that? Lust. What's the show? Oh yeah, it's uh, sorry, it's 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 lust. It's lust conquers all. There you go. Lust conquers. I couldn't remember. Yeah, lust conquers all. And um, uh, I like that he says that he names the army man. He named the army man Ted after Ted Danson. I thought that was uh, thought that was great. Nice little touch. Then we get what I think is one of one of the best pieces of acting here. Um. Uh, f- for the Jamie Tart character when he says, how you been? And it, he goes from awesome and, and it just bam, bam, bam. He, he like without any response from Ted goes from awesome to it's all shit, Ted, uh, in, in a short period of time. And I was like, God, that is, that is tough to pull off, but he did it. Um, and then, okay. I, t- I said I would mention the lines that I think are more Ted Lasso esque. Uh, and so Ted says, I think the line was, uh, "I'm glad I'm ta- I'm glad I was tall enough to take that ride with you," or something like that. Yeah, I was that, like, oh, that's a cl- yeah. that's clever. Yeah, I like that. Right? One. Yeah, that's appropriately clever. Um, so I'm just calling it out because I think that's a good, uh, well written Ted Lasso line. Um, Jamie wants a. Uh, they get a couple of uh, drinks, um, and. Um, Jamie asks uh, if uh, if if May can have uh, the three knuckleheads at the end of the bar stop staring at him, and May tells them to fuck off. And then there's this moment where uh, they do like this long shot. Uh, this they, they hold on May as she winks, and I was like, "This is the longest shot I ever remember in Ted Lasso." And I was like, "Oh, May's gonna die." You guys oh, remember wow. that? Yeah. 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 I do remember that. I did not have that reaction to that shot. But that, that's, that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. It was It felt like a significant moment for sure. Cause you don't hold that long on, you just, it's like a locked shot. You just, you, they just, they're like locked on May. It's like the full wink. They're like milk the wink. And then they hold on her. And I'm like, okay, wait, what? Like May's going to die. I was like, this is like, anyway, that that was my reaction to it. Um, uh, Ted, Ted makes sure to tell Jamie that he's burned a lot of bridges over there when Jamie wants to come back to Richmond. Um, and um, uh, it's kind of fascinating because they do a little toast. And did anybody notice that Jamie doesn't drink? They do a toast. Ted takes a drink and Jamie doesn't drink. 
Did you guys notice that at all? I don't remember noticing that specifically. It, yeah, yeah, but now that I'm thinking either. about it, yeah, I don't know. It, obviously, he wasn't not interested in toasting with Ted. He was there to talk to Ted. It, and I'm also guessing it's not just an athlete thing. Well, remember, like season one, Jamie would like go out and party and be this horse's ass, and I was like, God, this is so. I was, I just thought it was a really good choice that he, he just they clink glasses, and then Ted takes a sip, and Jamie doesn't. Um, Ted asks him straight up, "Why, you know, why he quit." play quit man city to to do the reality show he's getting a lot of good minutes and um jamie starts out with the bullshit of that it would fund and boost his brand um and then he admits that he did it to piss off his father um sorry i'm go just ahead. gonna jump go ahead, back bo- one go ahead, quick boss. second uh you talked about him partying in the first season but famously in the first season he was drinking vanilla fucking vodka so maybe this is him trying to become more grown up, but he's still not interested in drinking a beer because it's not vanilla fucking vodka. That's an interesting. That's an interesting take. It is the <laughs> the, 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 de- the the drinking and what people drink and when they have it is definitely, I think, one of the ways they're playing with the manhood stuff. Um, you know, down to you know, oh, Rupert's paying. We'll take the boot. Like, I mean, it's a whole. Uh, there's definitely some stuff around the alcohol and and how it gets distributed and consumed. So that's a uh, interesting take, boss. Well, and also it's such a great line that I like to bring it up whenever possible. Vanilla fucking vodka. What a child. Oh, glorious moment. Coach, you may not remember, but you regaled us with your blue Hawaiian. Um, <laughs> story i did forget and about that, that that was that was season one we we did hear about that so yeah and i and i agree that there are these certain acceptable male drinks bourbon whiskey and god forbid god forbid you have something with a little rum in it um <laughs> anyway um okay so um we move on to uh uh ted talks about how how hard it is sometimes having a hard father and somehow that's uh uh there's a correlation between people, great people who have had difficult fathers. And he mentions Bono. Um, then there's this moment where Jamie asks Ted about his father. And he says, no, he was a lot harder on himself than he ever was on Ted. And Jamie says, you're lucky. And Ted uh, sort of raises his eyebrows and cocks his head and thinks like, huh, that's, that's an interesting way to take it. And I can't wait to hear what you all thought of it at this moment. Well, I, I, <sighs> So going to address it first in the way I experienced it in real time, because obviously we're all obsessed and I've now I have lost track of how many times I've watched um, this season and this series. Um, Immediately, I had a deep sense of dread about Ted's father, like like in real time. I, I may have even texted a friend of mine in real time that that was significant and I didn't think it was going to be in a good way. Um, but I thought that when you watch how Ted is with everyone, I think it's natural to be very curious as to who his father was. And I think this little glimpse made me just lean forward a whole lot and say, well, tell me more. What What is it I need to understand about him so that I can understand you, Ted? I'm really glad that you, it also set off my spidey senses. Um, I, in fact, immediately after that scene started texting people to see if they had seen Ted Lasso yet, because I wanted to 
document my prediction someplace. I was uh, trying to Babe Ruth call my shot. Um, and at the time, I don't think anybody responded properly. So I wasn't able to say, aha, I called this. Um, but yeah, I had exactly the same reaction, wanting to know what it was that would make him say that his dad was always a lot harder on himself than he was on anyone else. And also knowing that his dad is dead, that his dad died when he was 16, what implications that had on how his dad died. And I don't think we need to get into any of that because, of course, that's going to be a lot more later. But yeah, I I think that this was one of the better scenes in terms of foreshadowing things in a similar way that they had in the first season. Like, I don't want to get too into my criticisms yet because I really like this episode. But I do think one of the things that they missed out on a lot in the second season is saying here's this thing that we are going to come back and touch on over and over and over again, because it's going to be something that develops for the characters and that this was a good example of how well they can do that. I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that there's going to be an increasing amount of slander, both from coach and boss. Oh, yes. And I'm going to be here with and for you continuing to be true to my love of this show as these two philanderers go about their business. But I, I'll mm-hmm. be here for you. I will be here for you, listeners. So take take heart. If, if you don't have a tornado shelter right now, please build one prior to our reviewing <laughs> episode four, oh, the Christmas good. episode, a.k.a. <laughs> who gives a shit. <laughs> It's gonna get it's gonna get lively. It's gonna get ugly, I think, starting next week. But um for the for the for the uh for the interim time, at least I think we all enjoyed this episode. Um Jamie, uh Ted says, Jamie, you're an amazing player, but I don't think it's a good idea. Jamie's hurt. He says, Yeah, he says, Yeah. Um he sips his beer and um we then uh see the the three knuckleheads. Um taking a picture uh, on their phone to make it look like Ted and Jamie are sitting in Baz's hand. And then we cut right away to the locker room. Before we cut, can, there, there, are a couple, there are a couple things here that I, I think really uh, deserve a little noting. So we love Baz. We love the guys. We love them. Um, I have to say that when Paul, Paul, when Paul said, fucking off now, like, I don't, why is he so funny? <laughs> so good. I, I laughed. I cackled. Like I was like, that is a complete throwaway. Who gives a shit joke? And I cackled laughing. So that's just I just have to call back to that and say how great they are. But it connects to this last moment, and I do think they have they are used almost as effectively as I've seen that kind of a chorus be used in a modern story. In a modern telling, um, they 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 they're there without it feeling like they're narrating. Um, they participate to a certain degree where we get that they are their own people, but at the same time, it's just a great way for the writers to achieve things. I a hundred percent bought that they would tweet out that image. I a hundred percent bought that then people would see it and there would be fallout from that. Like it just. Those three are really effectively drawn and used um, throughout the series, but I thought in this moment in particular. 
Absolutely agree. And one of the things that I don't know if we've explicitly discussed is the show does not address COVID. COVID doesn't exist in the Ted Lasso world. But in the Ted Lasso filming world, COVID definitely existed. And so I do wonder a little bit what impact those restrictions had on filming. And if, you know, Castleton, you said that you thought, oh, May's going to die because it's a long shot on her. I didn't get that same reaction. There's a part of me that thought she's not going to get that much screen time because of COVID restrictions. Maybe they just wanted to give her a second where she gets to be on screen more than she was. And so I think that uh, something missing for me in the second season altogether was having the trio and having May and having them at the pub sort of weighing in for us on what was going on. So completely agree about them being used here and also wish that the world were a different place so we could have had more of that. Yeah, great, great, great point. I I, I guess I hadn't thought about the production side of that quite in that way, but yeah, great, great, uh, great insight. I'm glad, by the way, they didn't do COVID because I, I think we'll all we'll get COVID in stories, but I just didn't need it here. I didn't need, I didn't want it here. So I I was glad they kind of just moved on. I kind of wish we had some COVID in this story. Yeah. You wanted a, yeah, I just want a little more COVID. There's not enough COVID in general. It's just a little bit of Higgins with long COVID, not remembering where his office is (laughs) instead of being kicked out of it. Sure. That would have made this, that would have been so funny. You guys. It's like a, it's like cowbell, but a virus. So, All right. So uh, we're moving out of this scene. Um, I I feel like because I assumed May was going to die um, and then uh, Ted's thing about his father, I'm like, this scene was basically the red wedding for me. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Everyone's dying in this scene. Um, but we moved quickly to the locker room and where there's an artful uh, reveal that uh, the, the gents on the team have seen the picture and they're pissed and they show – um, they show, uh, they're all pissed except Danny, Danny, who, uh, makes a joke about how they look like they're sitting on his hand. Like Danny, oh God, God love you. Um, and, but Sam is especially pissed. Uh, we cut out to watching training and it looks like it's a little bit, uh, y- you know, sort of, sort of, a everyone's a little frisky and things aren't going smoothly. Um, Beard asks if anyone ordered extra spicy training today. There's a Nando's Perry Perry sauce joke. And Ted turns around to see uh, Dr. Stone. Um, you know, she's sort of she's watching training for the first time. And he's like, how come I every time I look back back there, it's like she's getting closer and closer. Um, I thought this is a great gag. Uh, now, Will comes over with some sports mix, hands it to the three coaches. Um Beard starts talking about, oh, it's an optical illusion in- induced by your mistrust of your profession. Uh, meta- another metaphor uh, callback. And then Nate, <laughs> like, he just spits out the sports mix. Uh, it was so funny how how he spit. It was, was so much fury. Did you guys pick up on that at all? Pineapple juice. It, it, who, put, who would put pineapple in a sports mix? And I, I don't actually know anything about that. I don't drink sports mix or pineapple juice, so I don't know how those would go. It would go. What's funny is it would go fine. Like I think it's amazing 
<clears throat> excuse me, I think it's amazing like to, to compare them that Ted used the sports mix, specifically used it as an opportunity to boost Nate. And that Nate is now going to use it specifically as an opportunity to say Will is shit. I thought that yeah. was a really yeah. interesting, uh, in a way, callback of that particular uh, moment. Yeah, in the ways that Nate had been helped by the lasso method, he was not going to help Will in the same way. Absolutely you, not. Yeah. There, there are these moments in um, in our and uh, we're, we're recording this in the U.S. of A. There are. Um, moments in American history where you look back and you go, God, I wish I had noticed that, or I wish we had like made a bigger stink and we might not have ended up, you know, in with certain things happening in, in the Supreme court or, and you go, God, man, looking back, how did we miss this obvious mm-hmm. thing? And how do we miss this mm-hmm. obvious thing? And sometimes when uh, a lot in this episode with Nate, I I feel like God. How do they miss this obvious like mm-hmm. this such a such a correctable moment? It felt like <laughs> Citizens United. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, although although we're not going to bring any bummers into this, uh, I, I think I'll say instead, uh, Castleton. Um, since you just mentioned the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones, uh, I just did a rewatch of Game of Thrones. And up until it ended at the fourth season, because everybody knows for sure that they filmed the fourth season and then that was the end of the show and it stopped there. Ah, but yes. No more episodes after that. Nothing happened. A, a Daenerys Targaryen, I'm sorry, correct name, Daenerys Stormborn of the House Targaryen. Nothing bad happened to her ever. Everything was great. The point of all this rage that you could feel coming through the microphone right now is that that's what the entire show is. The entire show is every moment where you're like, hey, don't fuck this up because it's going to go really bad. And then they fuck it up and it goes really bad. So, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about with that feeling. I'm imagining like the the tip of your microphone having a little smoke coming off of it. Oh, my God. God, it's just I can't get into that right now. That's right. an entirely different. That's we'll podcast. do another we'll do another podcast for that. Um, Ted uh, Nate says he stands with Ted that Richmond's been overrun by incompetent outsiders. Uh, and Ted's like, I don't remember saying that. I think I said that. <laughs> um, I think it's ahead. super ahead, important. I think it's super important that Beard says that's not something you would say. And I know it's a joke, but I actually thought there's some of the better writing, especially some of the debates you and I have had, seriously, that you and I have had around writing this season and some of the pieces. I thought that was a sequence of lines that worked in the kinds of multiple ways that made us fall in love with the writing in season one, because it's significant. It is really significant that Ted wouldn't. And that's why I'm not sure... And we'll get into this as we go because there's a lot more with it when it actually goes down. But I'm not sure that correcting in quotes Nate's pineapple, lavender, blah, blah, blah stuff would really have changed the outcome. Because I think it's more about character being revealed than it is about character being formed. I'm just I'm just letting that that thought sit there because we don't say smart things very often. 
I just want our listening audience to to enjoy our one our one great success. So thank you. All right. Well, um, I'm, I'm I'm done for the season. Thanks, I'll coach. show up okay. just to keep the uh, you know seat. So long, everybody. <laughs> um. Okay. So Ted uh, Ted stops training to talk to Sam. Look, baby, when you make that pass, you got to put some grass under it. Make Danny chase it down like it's a loose toddler in a busy parking lot. I think that's a good line. Um. If any, especially for parents who have done it. Um. Uh. Sam then chirps back at Ted, which never, ever happens. Um, I love uh, Isaac jumps in and goes, whoa, easy, bro. And I'm like, yes, okay, that's that's the right dynamic. That's exactly what the captain would do because that's his job. He's He's got a it, – it was perfect. It was really great. Um, uh, and Ted says, no, no, it's fine. Uh, I can't do anything better than any of you on the pitch unless it's a game of finish that Jimmy Buffett lyric. Um, uh, there's uh, latitudes and attitudes joke, and Sam is pissed, and he walks off. I'm for uh, one super shocked that Ted Lasso would be a parrot head. I'm are not you? at all. No, okay. no, no. That was heavy no. sarcasm, of course. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Jesus. Okay, got it. Yes, that seems that seems very aligned to me. Um, Ted says he's just trying to help the team. Sam says back bullshit. I thought the Ted's line was weird. I'm just trying to help the team here. I thought, mm, God, I don't love that line. Huh. What, but what not in think? the way where not not in the way where it wasn't um, a Ted Lasso quality line. Not in the way that I've been railing about. I just thought, like, oh God, obviously he's just trying to help the team. I think uh, so. In in my view, that's a line where the writing team says we have to get to we have to get a line that's going to make Sam say bullshit because that's the important thing. And then they just mailed it. They, they basically had a placeholder line. I'm just trying to help the team. Bullshit. And, and I was like, oh, no. Why, why would the coach say he's trying to help the team? That's his job, obviously. Like, he wouldn't have to. I was like, God, I just didn't love that line. But whatever. It's, it's, it's well, totally quick, fine. Well, quickly, I don't necessarily think it's the best you know, line in the, se- in the season. But I, but I thought I took it as Sam, he's thinking, did Sam take this personally? Like, I'm attacking him specifically by, with this you know, critique. Um, so that's the way I took it. So he was sort of, I took it as him saying, Hey, it's not personal, man. I'm just trying to get the play to, you know, work the way it's supposed to work. But I, I see what you're saying. And you, and you may be right. We've written and we know that sometimes you're like, I got to get to this line. And that's right. It. Right. That's the important thing to hit. And you're like, I'll go back and fix that one. And then you don't have time. And that's the way it goes. Um, so Sam says bullshit, storms up right past Dr. Stone, who is now in the closest possible chair uh, in the bleachers, which I thought was nice. Uh, that was t- a great gag. Right. That was a nice little nice little gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get um, um, Ted chasing after Sam. He says up to Dr. Stone that Sam doesn't normally act like that. Um, and um, I, I love that like sheepish. I'm like really into moments where characters are embarrassed in front of characters. They are trying to impress or the best of all, I feel like is um, in dirty rotten scoundrels when uh, Steve Martin is playing the Navy vet who's locked into a wheelchair and Michael Caine is, is hitting him on the legs uh, with a switch trying to prove that he has feeling in his legs. Do you guys know that scene? I don't. Rem- I remember enjoying that movie. I have not seen it in 
probably it's safe to say decades. So I don't remember that scene, but yeah, I, I remember I remember the movie generally. That's cool. Um, I'm gonna I I think I wrote about this scene, so I'm gonna send you that link, uh, Coach, because you're gonna enjoy nice. it. It, it, nice. it. Just as even as a standalone scene, not watching the movie, right. it is beautiful. It is beautiful. But anyway, I love that moment where. Ted is like embarrassed and he's like, fuck like shit. <laughs> like, right. Like, ah, like really? Like, right. Like usually everything goes great. Like now, now I'm being watched. And the first day I'm watched <laughs> like Sam of all people swears and storms off. I just love the tension of that. Um, go ahead, coach. I was going to say one of the things I like is like when you said Sam of all people, because I thought this was what I did enjoy. One thing I enjoyed about this episode was it the three people I feel most clearly represent the lasso way in its forms um, are obviously Ted. And then I think it's Keely and Sam. And I thought, like, you know, we talked about Keely knowing the barista's name and that sort of being like a touch that just said, of, of course she does. And I thought Sam here, even though he's sort of figuring out how to do it, I thought Sam in his own way um, was figuring out how to be the leader he is because if, if what they saw was right, he's not wrong to be mad and Ted would deserve to be confronted. And he, he may not, he is new to him. So he was awkward with it and it was a better way to do it. But I thought it was good that he was like, man, this is some bullshit. Like, like I was, I mean, I thought that was the right word to use it. That's how I would have felt if I was Sam. You know, we preach all this shit around here and then what? Cause this dude can kick the ball from a hundred miles away. He, he can come back. I, I, I got it. And as, and frankly, I think anybody who's had siblings would probably get it. You know, you know what uh, Sam needs is to learn that. Um, this is a brilliant concept that I, um, have just learned about. Um, you don't send the fighter away. You just have to figure out when to send the fighter into the game. Yes. Right. Uh, listeners. That is, that is, that is coach referencing some of my anger management work. Uh, <laughs> but no, really. Yeah, actually you just like when, when to, when to send them into the game. Absolutely. But also foreshadowing some uh, developing plot lines in future episodes involving middle fingers and players is all I'm saying. Okay. Now we get to, we get to something that's absolutely a very, very uh, to this point, this may be the first official derailment for uh, boss and myself um, because Ted Lasso for the most part gets their takes right on things. They just, they just nail it and they, they, uh, they articulate, uh, feelings and situations better than other shows. And so Sam and, and Ted are arguing, uh, really seems like you got something on your mind, something like I'm angry about a mysterious thing. And I'm, so I'm going to do some cussing now. Ted says, I mean, I'm angry. I did cuss. And every time I do, I regret it. Sam says, and then Ted says, boss, can you help me out with this? Yeah. He says that's because people say cuss words when they don't know the right ones to use to express themselves. And my notes, my uh, comments on the show notes for that particular line were bullshit. I, I, I don't understand. I, I think I've read enough studies right now, which may or may not be scientifically valid, but 
a lot of people are saying the smarter you are, the more often you use swear words. And I think that's fucking true. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking A right. You're fucking right about that, boss. Fucking A. Uh, You know, I like like the swears. People who can use, I think swears are, um, they are a beautiful part. It's so funny because I, God, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but we, we, um, have words that you can unlock, uh, like gamer style in my family. So when the kids get older, they unlock another tier of words that they can use. Um, and I always have swears at the highest tier because once you can use those well, it's a pure, it's pure joy. And I'm like, there's nothing, there's no, there's no such thing as a, these words are not bad. Words are designed to convey feelings or emotions or, or, or whatever, or, you know, and there, there are words that have been sort of, um, taken out of the culture. Um, but in general, I don't feel like, uh, words themselves, uh, are the problem. It's, you know, the, the stuff behind the words and people who can drop, uh, say, say fuck properly or say bastard properly or say, you know, shit, like all the greatest words, if you use them, like drop them, into language at the perfect time it's a it's an art form which is what i think the bernie Mac reference was about absolutely and i can't remember if i've mentioned this on this show before but it's definitely one of my favorite things um in my sister's house with my two nieces the older ones who i've trained to uh take advantage of the younger ones through manipulation and spite uh the rule in the house is unlimited swear words on the weekends two swear words tops each day during the week. And that is a rule that my 10-year-old niece has in place for my sister because that's who's doing all the swearing in the household. So it's a family thing, obviously. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure why I love that as much as I do, but I, now I just want to meet everyone you just mentioned. Oh, yeah, you absolutely do. They're great. <laughs> All right, so I um, uh, can't believe you're bringing Jamie back to the team. I saw the picture of you and him on Twitter. Blah, 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 blah. They have a little thing about this, and then we find out that, um, hey, man, I told him it's not going to happen, and then Sam feels stupid, and he said, you know, I have to make you run some laps. Um, and and uh, Ted handles it well, which is, which is uh, um, sort of uh, validated by him getting the holy shit scared out of him by <laughs> Higgins who is using the weight room as an office, uh, knocks over his, um, uh, knocks over his pens, uh, as an ongoing gag. And, uh, generally Ted sort of, uh, handles this, this situation, but nevertheless, something important comes out of it, which is that, uh, Sam has a good dad. And how does that, how does that affect, um, Ted, uh, coach? Well, before we go to, to to the effect of it, just quick, I the story that keeps jumping to mind, and you know, don't want to make too many um, Christian specific references or what have you, but I just feel like it's screaming here, and I couldn't specifically think of a similar Star Wars deal. So, at any rate, the the prodigal son. And for me, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, the idea is there's this, you know, there are two sons, one went off gallivanting, the other one stayed home and was true. And when it's, it's a parable. And when the, the prodigal son comes back, um, the father, you know, it runs out to meet the, him and, and, and throws him this big banquet and blah, blah, blah. And the, and the other, 
um, the son who's been true, it feels slighted. Um, you know, I think it's, I think Sam. That's just because the son that's been true has a shit personality nine times out of ten. <laughs> there's that. There's that. Like, I, that fucking like, learn to play the piano, Esau. <laughs> it feels like a little bit of a personal attack, but okay. No, but no, but really it was like, you know, yeah. So at any rate, my point being that Sam gets to say, and I thought, you know, he's struggling with it, but in a pretty eloquent way, I was here and I was true and I, to the way, to the lasso way. And I can't believe you would embrace somebody who so wasn't. And, um, I thought it was legit. I mean, I think, you know, he gets to say, you know, feel silly in terms of it's, oh, it's actually not going to happen. But I thought what he expressed was an important thing for him to be able to say out loud. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think that there was also a lot to it when he said that no one has ever made him feel as bad about himself as Jamie has. And and so it was the lasso method and it was being, you know, true to Richmond and being a good team player. But it was also that he wanted Ted to protect him a little bit. Like Ted as the coach should have said, no, Jamie, you're a dick to your teammates and you don't get to mistreat them while I'm here. Yeah. And I, and that does because boss is awesome. Swing us, I think very much into the, uh, you know, the significance of Sam having that great dad. Yeah. And I think Ted Generally understood because of what he's witnessed, but also after the conversation establishing that basically JB threw away his soccer career to get his dad away from him. Um, No, he's like acutely aware of this in this moment. And I think that's significant in a show that very much seems to get him back over and over again to fathers and sons. Um, So I, I think once we realize there's this thing Jamie didn't get that truly helps us understand who he is and why he's the teammate who made Sam feel the worst that, that that, the door was still open. The door needed, or he saw that the door needed to be open. Like if if I need to protect all my kids, like sometimes there is going to be a moment where I have to decide who needs the most protecting. And it, it, it might be the, you know, it might be the Jamie in the story. Yeah, I think that that's a really great point. I think it also, it, you know, what you said about the prodigal son is repeated later in a couple of other characters in, mm-hmm. in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. In, in the ways in which Ted maybe is interested in protecting all of his children, but maybe doesn't do a great job of understanding how to do that properly or how to communicate with them the ways in which he has shortcomings, but that's not a reflection of them necessarily. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, I think you're right though. I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right on there. I want to point out that um, there's, there's this saying uh, coach uh, where I think you've probably heard it. Uh, there are two kinds of coaches. Have you heard this? Uh, do you know what the, I don't, no, I don't know this one, I don't think. There are two kinds of coaches. Uh, coaches who coach uh, great players and ex-coaches. <laughs> That's and great. So, That's and great. so, right? And so 
being a coach and correct me if I'm wrong is taking the raw materials you have and maximizing the optimal range of outcomes based on the raw materials that are on your team. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah. Yeah. I think that feels right. Yeah. That feels right. And then, so you as a coach are taking every possible avenue to um, sort of maximize the out you and every other coach, every other coach worth, worth his salt. Sometimes it's a Bobby Knight screaming. Sometimes it's Ted Lasso trying to believe, you know, there's all these different, uh, and and your way is probably somewhere a combination of the two, not in a, mm-hmm. not in a derogatory way, but you sure. will definitely you'll be a rah rah coach and mm-hmm. get people fired up, and um, not that you'll you know sort of focus on negative reinforcement, but you will try to motivate people. You'll get fired up and, yeah. and do that sort of thing. Um, one thing that so I don't know how much of this gets addressed in in what is a soccer show about like what are Ted's limitations and what can he do? And I think later in the season, we'll talk about how I think that goes off the rails a little bit, or that concept is we want to believe that belief in and of itself can make you win games. But if you just do the math and you look at the raw materials you have and other people have better raw materials and their coaches are maximizing the outcomes on their teams, you know, the, the st- statistical chance is that you won't be able to keep up with that other team. Well, yeah, I think it's funny. I'm, I had a, I used to do stand up, which I may have mentioned somewhere along the way. Um, but a, a guy I knew when I did stand up named Dwayne Perkins, very funny guy, also from Brooklyn. And he had a great bit where, you know, he thought it was so dumb when some player gets interviewed after a football game. He's like, oh, we just wanted it more than than they did. He was like, well, if I got a bunch of kids who were orphans and I said, if you beat the New York Jets, you will get to live with your daddy Warbucks. They would still they would want that win way more than the Jets, but they would still get their ass kicked. Um, and he tells, you know, he, he, he has a, he had a whole bit off of that with post game interviews and it was great. But the point being, yes, I think sometimes there's a romantic, um, you know, miracle on ice kind of thing that we like to believe. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes they just got the horses. I mean, and I think you just got to do what you can, uh, you know, to compete or see if you can throw them off their game or, you know, figure out like, where the where, where that where that hole is in the Death Star's defense, but you know most most times if they have the studs, they're gonna win. That, that well, that's true. We all see teams though that have all the pieces, and you go, no one's coaching these boys up or these girls up. You know, like you can see it. And in the you same way, bring up the Brooklyn your, Nets, your safety. Just go ahead and bring up the Brooklyn Nets. We don't have to talk around. It. <laughs> By the way, apropos of nothing, Kyrie's a moron. Okay, I'm sorry. That was irrelevant and can be edited out. Okay, moving on. I, I'm always a fan of any New York team um, uh, being terrible, so <laughs> I, I'll just I'll, I'll cast a vote for that. I'm fine with that. Uh, um, so so anyway, uh, we're gonna the other the other point I want to make super fast is that um, and th- and this show and every other show and and all of our uh, everything in especially in American culture uh, the most uh, more than other other cultures um, sort of winks and nods or whistles past the graveyard about the fact that uh, talent changes everything. There are different levels of 
player. And if you are what Higgins will later in this episode call an ace, that's right. Uh, the rules don't apply to you. And we see this that's never right. in never more than in the NFL, where I mean, truly, like the term, you know, the term blackguard. Do you know that that uh, the term mm-hmm. blackguard? Mm-hmm. It's an old like you'll, you'll find it in like you know sure uh, in in like. Uh, you know, sort of 18th century books like Robin Hood and things like that. You'll, it's it's basically like a just a just a t- truly terrible person. Um, and um, uh, some of the people in the NFL are are that they are horrendously awful. And you hear the about what they do off the field, and you go, "Oh my god!" Like this person should be in prison. Like this yeah. is, ter- yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. terrible. And yet they're a multimillionaire and uh, everything, law enforcement bends for them and fan bases bend for them. And uh, you'll have, uh, you know, like a, a like a someone who self-identifies as a fan uh, and is a quote unquote family man or something. And their favorite player that they root for every Sunday is like a, you know, domestic abuser or someone mm-hmm. their children. Or, and you just mm-hmm. go, what, where is the, you know, the cognitive dissonance here? It's, it's mind boggling. But I would say that in this case, the Jamie Tart of it all, um, he is in that tier of rare, rarefied air, where his the amount of talent he brings to the table is a bit of a game changer with regard to what the typical rules are. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think and Jimmy Johnson, not to take to American football too many times here, so I, this, I'll back off it, but. Jimmy Johnson is the coach I've heard most sort of directly speak to this. And that when he coached the Cowboys, he said, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Which I thought was great and refreshing. Like, rather than a coach pretending like, oh, I'm going to coach you all the same. Like, he was like, oh, no, 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 no. There are stars on this team and they're they're going to be treated differently. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, at any rate, I think being honest about that, if that is going to be the case, being honest about that is critical. And if it's not going to be the well, be, case, then you got to Jim- stand by it. Because Jimmy Johnson's job is different than Jamie Tart's job, is different than the fans' job. And if you understand, uh, Coach Bishop, that uh, your job, the, the, your paycheck depends on victory, right? And you know that the the uh, you know tongue-in-cheek quote is that there are two kinds of coaches, you say, you know, I would – I would like to have a few more uh, exceptional players on my roster to ensure that I am, you know, stacking the deck uh, for my personal career longevity. So, um, yeah, it's a consideration. Fall into that that uh, pool of uh, cabbage patch. I mean, no, uh, sour patch kids. Excuse me. Uh, like we talked about in season one, we're finally seeing if we're, what happens if you actually fall into that pool. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. So um, now uh, let's see. Sam has um, uh, has head, uh, run back out onto the pitch and um, Higgins drops his pens. And now we do this. Um, oh, God, it must have really hurt you, boss. We have a close up on Roy Kent um, in his dressing room. And what has happened to his face, boss? They ruined it. They ruined the whole thing. They shaved his beard. I think I texted both of you guys roughly the idea that shaved, shorn Roy Kent is a very attractive man. 
shaggy, full bearded Roy Kent is a Greek god who I would burn down my life for. And then they went and ruined it because now he's got to be professional and be on TV or some bullshit. None of it makes any sense. The world is crazy. I, I just need to call back the time that you talked about men who were so attractive, you would allow them to ruin your credit. And that oh. I hear that all the time and laugh to myself and with myself constantly. And the idea of really assessing that someone's so good looking that, yeah, I'm going to do it. That is worth a couple hundred points. Look at him. I, I, that's very funny. I only need to correct a slight thing about that. It's not that they are so attractive that they would ruin my credit. It's that there is something about them that tells me they would ruin my credit. And that is what I find attractive. It's so much more fucked up than what do you think it is? (laughs) Okay. Thank you for the correction. Yeah. It it isn't that I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know who's an actual attractive guy because the only ones I can think of have slightly weird faces. Hmm. Like I could say Jeremy Allen White and I think most people aren't going to understand why he would ruin my credit and I would love that. But like whatever attractive guy, I, I don't it. care about that. What I want is Mad Sweeney himself from American Gods <laughs> to come in and destroy my life. And I'll be like, yeah, that's great. I love that. Thank you, Pablo Schreiber. <laughs> The only way we got boss on this podcast was that Coach and I both have full beards, just extremely full. True. It's very, very true. And I, wait, didn't didn't you one time meet Pablo Schreiber and you smelled him? I mean, you didn't smell him, I but did. I remember I, it. I did. And your retelling of it, I've I've leaned into him and taken a good <laughs> whiff. That did not that did not happen. I uh, I I listen. shook his hand. There is his literally hand. no way that I'm walking away from an interaction with Pablo Schreiber without one of his shirts. That's I, it. I, I could have tried. No, that's good. No, that's good. No, that's good. I did. Uh, I did shake his hand and um, give gave him a masculine nod. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, it, Sorry, boss. It, I uh, although Roy Kent, uh, Brett Goldstein, still very attractive. Just. No longer an Adonis. It's really sad for everybody in my apartment right now. I know this isn't like a, a universal thing, uh, but maybe you can get close to this w- with me, boss. When I first, like the season one, the beginning of season one, when I saw Roy Kent with that beard, I, I fucking hate that type of beard. I, it just feels clubby or something to me. It feels like this gross. I just don't, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's too quaffed. I don't really know, but it made me dislike him from the outside. I was like, oh, I don't like, huh. if, you, if that's the choice you're making, I don't like that choice. I'd rather you go scruffier. I'd rather you go like a, a even like a, a shorter beard where it just looks like stubble rather than whatever that setting on your uh, wall, extra strong groomer is. I can't, uh, I can't take that one setting. Drives me huh. You know, that's interesting because um, I think that I said on this podcast that uh, Roy Kent shouting uh, Jesus, Mary and fuckface Joseph got me pregnant immediately. Part of what I loved about his look, though, is that it seems very reminiscent of like an early aughts George Clooney trying to rock a Caesar haircut, but he hasn't managed to keep it up like it. In 2002, he saw Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek 
with short bangs and a little bit of side hair. And he was like, this is my look. I'm locking it in right now. This is what I'm doing. And then sometimes he doesn't go to the barbershop and also doesn't shave on a weekly basis, we'll say. So like, he's not trying to be stylish. I, I didn't get him as quaffed at all. I got him as I am out of touch with what is fashionable right now. And this is how I'm presenting it. Can you think of another character on another show or another film that has that length of beard? Okay. Now it's going to take me a little bit. I think I might have seen that on, um, it it feels like something that a Joel McHale would do in one of his douchier roles. Not as Jeff Winger. Jeff Winger is always going to have slight stubble or be completely shaved on community, but it does feel like a thing that Joel McHale would do at some point, but I'm not thinking of any specific one as of right now. I, I sort of rest my case. Um, especially Joel McHale. I mean, like, whatever. I know you're a huge Joel Love McHale him. fan, right? Think yeah. he's great. Yeah. Um, and coach, uh, you no no visual reaction for you to the the Roy Kent thin 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 beard. Nah, not 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 one way or the other. I mean, I, it, it definitely, I got that you know it's TV time, but I yeah, I didn't have like uh, any kind of emotional or visceral response. Shocked okay. by that. Yeah, that's a shame. You're not a smart person. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I mean, you are. Uh, it's, it must be nice to live in a world where everyone's. Clu- no, no, that's not. Uh, what was I trying to say? Right. All right. So, co- coach, um, we get the we get a close up of his face. Makeup artist um, is going in with the mascara. <laughs> uh, I fucking love it. So again. One of the real big problems with this season for me, and and I'm just putting a pin in it right now, is every time Roy is on screen, I get 65% more excited. And so when she says, what do you do with your lashes? What do you usually do with your lashes? Uh, he says, I leave them the fuck alone. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, oh, it's so good. Like, there's something just so fucking good about it. Um so then we have this wonderful mo- okay the, the he he says excuse me takes the phone call it's keely um she asks how it's going uh somebody sent uh, jamie carrier sent jo- roy flowers which is weird because they hate each other when they played and how the fuck do you know he loves white orchids which is amazing um again playing against type roy is like if, uh, such a fascinating and well-drawn and well-acted and uh character it's just it's just mind-boggling um keely can tell he's nervous and she says it's natural. He says he's not nervous. It's TV. There's no defense on TV, which I was like, oh, that's so interesting. So he views when he's in the world, in the soccer world, uh, the football world, um, he views his job as someone preventing him from doing something. And without that preventative nature to television, he's like, hey, what am I? I it seemed like he was floating in sort of a nervous vagueness about what his job was and he says you know keely presses him and asks what the issue is and he says what if everyone thinks i'm shit and i love this fucking line so much like i got misty re-watching it because i was like god what how amazing is it to be like have a partner that knows you this well but also like a friend that can say this to you and absolutely matters uh what's what is the line that keely says says to him boss 
Uh, she says, since when do you care what people think? You're Roy fucking Kent. Ah, oh, so good. My God. You're Roy fucking Kent. Um, yeah. And so why would she say that if the writers of the show are suggesting, did she not have the right word to use in there? She's the customer. <laughs> I mean, I think that this might be a, a, a good place to highlight the differences between the writers and the characters, since there are so many of the writers who are actors on the show. And that Ted necessarily thinking that uh, – Swearing is a placeholder for a word you can't come up with. Isn't necessarily what people use them for. He is Roy fucking Kent. That's his cheer. He's always been Roy Funky Kent. Uh, I got chills right now. It's so stupid. It's so <laughs> stupid how much I love this show. But I just felt chills go down my whole body thinking about people cheering for him and how much I love the character. Mm-hmm. How she goes, Royo at the end. And I'm like, oh, God, what a great partner. You know, like what a... What a magical feeling to be known that well. He He's like, fuck yeah. He just gets excited, stands up. Anarchy in the UK starts playing with his sex pistols. Oh, I'm God. like losing my shit. I'm like, this is the greatest. He, like just the walk scene. It, I, it, I, right? I, I'm like, it's amazing. Now, now I feel like I'm going to rain all over your parade. I thought it was great. I did think that there is a tiny bit of... Maybe tongue-in-cheekness that uh, Roy Kent walking onto what I'm assuming is one of the BBC stages in order to talk about England's national pastime set to anarchy in the UK was maybe being a little bit jokey. Like, you're not really raging against the machine there, Roy. Like, you're going to go out and say some swear words on TV, but that's you're not exactly an anarchist, right? Like, this is more of the, the middle-aged dad version of anarchy, perhaps, a little bit. I hate you so much right now. I know, I, really, I know. I As I was saying everything it, I you knew just you were going to hate it. I knew. I knew I was getting right in there, right in between the ribs. Listen, he is he is walking. Like, it's, this is him, like, going. He thinks he's getting back into the football world. So this is him walking to a game. He doesn't know the difference. So for him, this is his, yes. like, pump-up music. No, and listen, nobody loves a, a pump you up jam more than I do. Um, absolutely one of my favorite things about the wrestling matches was watching all of the little 14-year-old boys run out to Metallica. And I'm like, you guys don't know anything. This is fine. Um, it, so I understand the, the point of it. It just, it did seem, I, I think that we're eventually going to need to address the fact that as much as we love the show and as nice as it is and as in Structing as it is in a lot of ways in terms of how to deal with people and how to be nice with them. Uh, there is a level of privilege and I just hit my mic. Sorry about that because I talk with my hands a lot uh, that the issues that they are dealing with are not necessarily the most world ending of problems that people could have. And, and so I actually really liked that he was going out to get pumped up and that he was going out to do a match, but also there's a little bit about sports that can sometimes get overblown as much as you love it. And as much as you care about it, there's also like a, at the end of the day, this is a game and that this was a fairly good way of reframing that so that we saw it as maybe a little facetious. I didn't, I didn't experience it that way. I guess it's interesting 
I do, I've done a bunch of mindfulness stuff over the last couple of years. And one of the things I landed on is thinking about issues in my life and thinking about the fact that it is much bigger than I believe and, and much smaller than I believe, like everything. And so, for example, the idea of love in our lives actually is humongous and yes, I understand that in the context of our universe, never mind beyond that, I'm a speck. So how much less of a speck is my love or how I think about love and all those things? So anyway, all that to say, I feel like this was everything you said, boss, in terms of, sure, is the world going to crumble? Is anyone going to starve if Roy doesn't go out there or if Roy sucks? No. But on another level, I found it to be huge that this was a man finding out if he could continue to be, like to exist without this role that he had had, right? So can I be, is it that Roy Kent is a midfielder and that is what it is and it's now done? Or is Roy Kent a man who it was in the role of a midfielder who can now bring that to another role now that life has demanded that he not be that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Is he a good footballer or is he a good person? Like, is he great at being a footballer or is he great at being a person? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I really enjoyed that piece of it, but you but yeah, fully appreciating your point. And I don't want to diminish any of the things that happen to people. Like uh, a thing that you hear in therapy a lot is pain is pain, sort of regardless of what it is or where right, it comes right, from. Like right. if you're dealing with it, you're dealing with it. And so I don't mean to minimize that. I just also, I I, I laughed. I thought it was a good pump you up, but I also laughed because it was like, uh, I, I'm trying to think. One of the best examples, I guess, is that uh, in college, I worked at a catering company and my middle-aged dad boss, who I liked very much, and he was a nice guy. And even though I was a snotty 20-year-old, he allowed me to jokingly refer to him as Robbie Sweetpants. That's a whole story. Doesn't matter. Uh, Totally innocent, in case you're worried about that. Uh, (laughs) But he was hysterical. And also, when he would like prep stuff by himself, he would listen to the Rocky theme song. And I'm like, you're getting plates together for a catering event that we're doing in two hours, but you're rocking out to Rocky. All right, let's do this. Let's go. I have been sitting here quietly for six or eight minutes. The air has come out of my lungs. I'm just (laughs) listening to you just minimize the whole concept of a pump-up song and the boys... Trust, trust me when I say that that um, those kids that the high schoolers or whatever that played Metallica before they went on the wrestling mat, it helped them win. I'm telling you, 100. percent Absolutely, it was. Yeah. Do do I put on Sabotage by the Beastie Boys when I need to get myself pumped up? Yes, I absolutely do. But I also do think a little bit about that Dave Chappelle sketch where he had John Mayer playing rock songs in different white people venues. (laughs) That that was the best. That was one of the best Chappelle sketches ever. I do feel a lot like that. Like I'm going to get into the mosh pit, but also it's a little ridiculous. That's all I'm saying. It's interesting. And I, I, I do this for, for life. So I have a ton of playlists and, and, 
they like for specific roles or even moments in my life. Like there's a there's a thing that's come up in my life. And so the one um I, I'll share I'll share more about it later, I guess. But the one I'm I'm playing these days, having gone through a particular conflict, is uh quite interesting um and eclectic, but definitely intended to do what is being put forth here. Um just sort of like using that pump up music. Uh Try Jesus is one of the songs. And, and the, oh. if, you're, if, you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that song, the, the basic premise is try Jesus. Don't try me because I fight. And so yeah. if that gives you I any sense, that, <laughs> if that gives you any sense of the space I'm in right now. But, but you know, I love, I love using music this way. So it, 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 it's funny to hear this conversation around it. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so we have <laughs> we have Roy walking in, and um, I I don't think we uh, mentioned uh, maybe we did, but I was listening for it. I don't think I heard it. The thing, one of the things I was attracted to was um, the hope of the moment. Is that what you you guys are saying? Oh, it, can he be the whatever? Him walking in there is a courageous sort of uh, hopeful act in and of itself. Yep. It's like, I, I don't know whether I can actually be Roy Kent still, but I, I hope I can. And, and he's about to find out, which was, which I thought was, uh, I don't know. It was something that, that spoke to me. Uh, coach, did you have something? No, also, I mean, I think, yeah, it just takes a ton of coverage. That's, I just think it takes a ton of coverage. Okay. So, uh, we get in there. Um, we have, uh, real life television presenter Jeff Stelling is there. Uh, he's the host. He's glad to have, uh, Roy on the show. Roy starts by saying whatever, which is amazing. Two other hosts chuckle. Um, one is uh, Chris Kamara. I don't know if I'm going to say his name the right way, um, but he's a actual former footballer. And um, the other one is George Cartrick, uh, uh, Cartrick, who is the coach that was fired from Richmond in the very first episode. Um, he tells jo- uh, Ro- uh, George tells Roy not to get too emotional, which is clearly a reference to his retirement vid. And um, right away, we're right into the action. Um, I, I desperately wanted them to keep playing with the gag of Roy being shorter than everybody else on the... I was like, this is gold. This is gold right here. I can't believe they didn't milk more out of him being at a lower level. But um, yeah, anyway, he adjusts his, adjusts his chair uh, they start talking about the Chelsea game, uh, Chelsea and United, uh, I think it was. Um, and um, everyone else does platitudes and then Roy drops the hammer and I thought they played like shit and everybody's reactions all over the place. Uh, the, the, the Greek chorus reacts, um, you know, I enjoy his candor. Uh, and um, yeah, another, another note for coach, uh, did you, you specifically like that? I'm guessing. Oh my God. I just thought that was just so, so funny. And even the use of candor, like there's just, I don't, I don't, I just think he's great. But I also think in the, in the chart of achieving the Greek chorus of it all, that that's right, Roy. And in the same way that you coach that little girl's team fully Roy Kent and they, and the little girls loved you for it again here like just be just be you doing the things um so yeah i i, I liked it a lot and, it, and and the courage paid off 
Yeah. So uh, Jeremy and Paul love it. Uh, say he's a fucking legend. Um, uh, sorry, Jeremy and Baz. And then Paul enjoys his candor. And Jeff says, <laughs> the host says he apologizes for almost every word of what Roy just said. Um, Keely is uh, scrolling Twitter. Uh, we, we see very quickly her scroll by all these things that everybody loves Roy. And, and it's a, it's a hit. Um, and you can you can feel her excitement in, in that moment that she's relieved and excited and uh, it's a nice moment for her even though she's not with him um, in the studio. We cut then to the dime, a Diamond Dog meeting um, where Ted tells Higgins that as a founding member of the Diamond Dogs, it breaks their little bow wow hearts. <clears throat> not sure I love that to see you wandering around this building, man, without a desk. Oh, what was this? What, what is it? Oh, that was just what, my what Patty happened? and Selma groan. I I didn't like it either. Your bow wow hearts. That doesn't even mean anything. Well, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and 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 uh, assume the role of the black guy. Um, Lil Bow Wow is a rapper. I, everybody knows about Lil Bow Wow. Right. Although although now oh, he's okay. Bow Wow only because he's a grown up. Had to drop the Lil. Well, sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. But no, but <laughs> but yeah. So I just yeah. took it Duh. as another one of his, like you know. Bismarcky-ish references, but, I, but if what, you're aware of that it? and you still hated it, then okay. But what's the reference? Explain it. What? Explain it. What is the what is the point of mentioning Lil Bow Wow? Oh, just a dog. I mean, just as a dog-related pop culture reference. I mean, I don't think there's like I don't think it was. It's like uh, I just took it as another one of those, like the way he just references pop culture stuff in the making I, of his okay. of his I, I have to say, I would have understood that a little bit more if he said something like our doggy dog hearts, like a reference to Snoop, everybody's going to pick up on little bow wow, maybe not as much. And it, and then it's like more of just a not hitting the target as much as they wanted to. Okay. I get, I, what's, I, what's, I, what's I, little bow wow's um, biggest hit. My dad was in charge. Yeah, I think it was a little bit of a novelty thing when he was little, and then he was in a couple of bad teen movies, and I haven't heard much from him since then. I- I'll say that uh, I remember being 20-ish in the early 2000s in college, and I already was too old for sort of the child rapper shtick that was happening with him. Like, my youngest brother, who was 12 years younger, knew about him. I had no idea. And actually, I screwed up. The, the the little Romeo would be the my dad was in charge. I knew that wasn't right. Damn yeah, it! As soon as I as soon as I said it out loud, I was like, "No, that's not it. That's not it." So sorry about that. That's little Romeo. But the the basic yeah it was he. I don't think I yes. I think unless you were like the perfect age at that moment that you would have fully wrapped your arms around little Bow Wow. I'm not sure that reference is gonna you know set set anything on fire. Yeah. Well, so in a show where clearly most of the references are older millennials or or Gen Xers, that feels like it may have been a a swing and a miss at a younger generation. I don't know, whatever, may, whatever. That was just it's not it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. It's fine. It's just a uh, yeah, it bumped for me. Okay, anyway, so um uh uh they're asking uh they basically uh offer for Higgins to move down. Uh, here with the Diamond Dogs with my man Nate, and there's a shot of Nate's face, and he's stunned. He uh, is caught off guard. Uh, he, he says he's cool with it, um, 
but uh, and Higgins yells roomies and they have a weird, terrible high five. Um, and uh, anything here, folks, about Nate in this scene? I would say this actually felt like a major misstep for Ted. It feels like this is a moment where he implemented a little uh, Midwestern nice, which is a passive aggressive way of saying somebody being passive aggressive in order to get what they wanted without having to clear it with anybody first. Like if you say in front of Nate to Higgins, Higgins, you and Nate are going to share a room without not even like you didn't need to ask Nate because you're the boss, Ted, but you didn't mention it to him beforehand so that he knew it was coming in the meeting, like you sprung it on him in front of Higgins so that if Nate said that he wasn't cool with it, he had to be the asshole. Like it's not Ted's best coaching moment that we've seen. I I agree with that. And it felt, it, it felt out of step, but not in a way that like, Oh, I don't believe this. The writer screwed up, but it did feel like, um, him sort of losing track for for a moment here of 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 some of what he had going with Nate and 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 it just struck me as you 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 laid it out in a way I wonder if he thinks oh great Nate gets it he's all set and Nate didn't fully get it yet and yeah. de- right so like Nate's like at the the at midterms and 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 Ted's acting as if he's like completed the final. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm wondering now if it was a misread, if Ted misread what was causing Nate to be a jerk to Will and scream about the pineapple juice, uh, is that Ted thought Nate needs to be brought further into the circle. Like he needs to feel like more of the team. So we're going to give him a team roommate. Like Beard and I are roommates. And this is going to make him more of a coach. And what Nate was talking about was that he needed to feel more respected. Whether or not Nate actually deserved to be more respected is up for debate. But I think mm-hmm. that Ted didn't pick up on what Nate was throwing down. I think now that you 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 lift that up, I think too there's something around what leadership looks like, right, with the manhood stuff as well, because Ted doesn't have his own office. Yeah. Absolutely. So it really is, you know what I mean? I think that is significant in this conversation that, that this isn't a matter of this. This actually isn't a demotion for Nate, but because Nate ascribes to the really more so ascribes to the, the, the Murdoch version of this, you know, um, not Murdoch. What I say, because I was thinking Rupert Murdoch, uh, but because he's, because Nate thinks more of the Rupert version of this, um, and, and ascribes to it, even if we haven't had that conversation yet. I think the idea of having his own office that is now not just his would feel like a slight. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we're going to have more conversations on this later, but I do think that this is a first inkling that Nate, I think that Ted thinks of the role of masculinity as needing to be more open, attempting to tear down the patriarchy in his own small way. And that Nate thinks the patriarchy isn't elevating the right kind of man. Like, I think that this comes into really big conflict because Nate thinks, well, actually I deserve to be on top. And Ted thinks actually we should have everything more equal. 
Yeah. And I think, I, I think that's significant. And I know we don't go too far down these roads and I don't think we should, but I think that comes into play, even in some of the world situations that we've referenced this, the idea I quickly, I'll say, I used to think of, I used to talk about immigration. I wrote a piece at one point that was closed door behind you and how America for all it's, you know, mm-hmm. welcome the world. There's always a bit of a vibe from the last people through the door. Like, let's hurry up and close the door now that we're inside the house. And um, Nate, Nate has a bit of that to him. I mean, like when we met you, bro, you were volunteering to pull grass out of a trash bag to give to a man because yeah. you thought you were going to fire. So you were a literal shit kicker. You were a literal shit kicker. So like, maybe you could give this kid a break. Or if you think he shouldn't be putting pineapple in the sports drink, which strikes me as like some really petty shit to, for you to be worrying about now that you're a coach. But at the very least, you could pull him aside and be like, hey, man, like, you know, you might want to check allergies. Like my own child is is allergic to pineapple. So like you could whatever it is that seems to be your issue, there's a way to address it. That doesn't include saying, hey, I want to talk to you and then closing the doors behind you as you walk. Yep, absolutely. I just want to put on the map that Ted Lasso, with the help of Coach Beer, took the Wichita, Wichita State Shockers to their to an NCAA championship in his first year. And when he arrived in England, was unfazed by thousands and thousands and thousands of people calling him a wanker in public. And stood in the locker room and said, okay, if this thing's going to work, we got to – it starts in that man's heart about Roy Kent. So we have been given this impression that Ted has the secret, in my opinion. And I think a big part of the secret is believe. But w- the way that Ted Lasso in season one has been set up is that he is a man with the answers. So I, I ask you, and we don't have to get into the answer right now, but how many times does he have to miss a clear problem or a clear um, – issue with Nate before we wonder if the, the lasso way is not uh, a foolproof methodology. Because even in this scene, we could say it's Ted misstepping by not having cleared it in the Midwestern nice guy way. Or we could say it's Ted not noticing the very obvious shock on Nate's face and not addressing it in the moment. Um, and we can certainly say later on in this same scene, um, when Nate is yelling at Will, um, that these are things that might might have used some course correction, and is the last way only applicable to players and not members of his own staff? Well, I think there will be other places where we can discuss it. I think here, this really was a. Um, I think his focus is on Higgins. Um. Actually, in this moment, Nate doesn't have a quote problem that he that that's not the that's not what he's talking about there. In terms of the Nate, I mean, in terms of the will piece, we'll we'll discuss it more for sure. But I think it's important that he does note it. I think you know, and in a couple others, in in more specific ways, um, you know, and and I'm I've, I've thought of a couple of examples, but I'm going to be totally honest, and I'm not sure because they're not core to the the plot lines where they've happened yet. So I don't want to get into all that, but but I think 
if he he if he sees it and models what he wants to see, I'm I think on some and, and even sometimes comments on it, I think Ted would view that as addressing it. And I'm not sure that Ted's answer Ted the same way Ted didn't walk up to Roy and say, I need you to get a hold of Jamie and get this locker room going in the right direction. I don't think there'd ever be a scenario where it would be as blatant as, hey, Nate, don't yell at Will. Yeah, but in season one, he would have addressed it. I mean, he he got Jamie and Roy drunk. He was like, I'm out of options. Let's go get him drunk. Like, he but that at was least episode was a, what, what, seven. What? Or, what did he do? Or no, okay, maybe four. But sorry, but go ahead. No, no, maybe I'm not. I'm not disputing that. But I'm saying there, there, there. He seems to have a methodology, and with the mm-hmm. pineapple thing, at least it was Beard who addressed it very casually, and Ted was completely oblivious to it. He all he did was like raise his eyebrows, like, "Oh, that's that's I like that sports mix." That was it. There was no wait, wait. No, no, no. He said. He said. I. I. I don't think I said that. When he says we're we're surrounded by incompetent outsiders, whatever he goes, I don't think I said that. And then that's when Beard says, "I don't think that's something you would say." So I guess my point is, I think he does address it. I think we can agree that he obviously <laughs> he didn't address it adequately. If it goes wrong, right? Like that, like results are results. But I, I okay. But I think he would view it as like I said something. I mean, you know, that's not the way I see it. All right. So the good, okay. And my version of this, all right. And, and this is a, t- a total departure, but in that, in the pineapple scene, right? The, the, I don't think he addressed it satisfactorily based on the lasso way. So that, that's one little thing I'll just say. I think he, he would normally have, have said something in season one. Uh, then how he addresses it, here's the difference. If he just riffs off the pineapple thing and he says, like, hey, well, I, if you live in a pineapple down by the sea or something, like, I'm trying to think of like the most basic pineapple SpongeBob reference or something like that. Right. Like what is the right? That would be a season two writer joke. Whereas a season one writer joke would be something like absolutely fantastic about flavor. Right. Where it's like, he uses like some wisdom with the fact that you have a new flavor in your life and you'd go, Oh my God. Like, hmm. did he just like blend those two? Do you see what I'm saying? Like the, I just, and again, I, I always say that the top one is, um, I just think ghosts should believe, do you believe in ghosts, Ted? And I just think they should believe in themselves. That's right, the right. kind of thing I was, I'm looking for. And when I feel like that missed opportunity, there's a missed opportunity there. I, it, I mentally not, I'm not even, not even, I'm not even aware of it when it happens, but I check out a tiny bit. I go, ah, oh, shit. Like that was a coaching moment and he didn't, didn't do anything copy that yeah let me think about that one specifically but i think in combination i think nate doesn't hear the corrections because nate believes in that hierarchy he just wants to join it it's not that he sees a problem with the ladder as boss pointed out it's just that he wants to be on the top rung. that that's the real point and if they and if Will's down at the bottom and shit's going downhill and and drown and he's drowning in it, oh well, not me. I mean, Nate would pick on him, pick on Will because he's a little baby, like JB did to him in season one, if he had the chance. Right. Okay. So so t- uh, we have the Diamond Dogs meeting. Uh, 
isn't the idea of never give up one of the things we always talk about in sports and shouldn't that apply to people too? Um, Ted asks for a, uh, uh, you know, some, some input, uh, two aces, very, two aces is very tempting, hearkening back to, uh, my earlier point. Higgins is like, you know, there's something, uh, that you can't undeniable about having an, an, another amazing player on the team. Um, it could also ruin morale to have someone in here just belittling everyone. And then he belittles, uh, will and, has no idea what was I saying. Um, Beard does pros and cons. He's a great player, and the con is pooping a punch bowl. And Ted asks for the rare thumbs up, thumbs down vote. Uh, Nate and Beard vote down. Higgins and possibly Ted are up. Higgins votes up. Ted doesn't say anything. He just notes the votes, um, and they move on. So we cut to uh, Keeley's house. And, um, she's reading an email from Sky Sports that Roy was amazing. Roy walks in, uh, and he asks how it went. He doesn't respond. He hasn't giving, he's not giving anything away. His face isn't telling her his mood. She's reading it as, oh shit, he's pissed off. He asks to see her phone. Doesn't even like really greet her. Uh, she hands it over. She starts, you know, trying to manage him. Um, she says Twitter was going cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. Which I was like, oh, it's what I wonder, like, is that Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs was a reference to an American cereal. Mm -hmm. I assume that must be their version of it. I mean, I assume it felt intentional. Yeah, it sounds like that. And I was like, is that like the melding of, oh, I'm Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Like they wrote the joke. Okay, here's my question Was that a, a UK advertising campaign at the same time in America or was that a joke written by writers where it said Cocoa Pops and they said no we don't have Cocoa Pops we have Cocoa Puffs and then they just changed the Puffs part and so there really was no advertising campaign again super important questions being asked here uh, well, a little <laughs> research according to a British corner shop dot oh sorry dot co dot uk Kellogg's had Cocoa Pops. You can still buy them for the equivalent of $6.97. Actual dollars. That's not pounds. So I guess they had Cocoa Pops in Britain. I don't know. I have nothing to add to this other than I was on Google, so I felt like doing it. I like it. So Roy says it felt good to be back around the game. He hands her her phone back. He says, you helped me to help myself again. So I wanted to thank you properly. Hit play. Um, it's a uh, press conference um, of where Roy is retiring again. And he puts ear AirPods in her ear, which terrified me. Um, and I, have you ever had anyone else try to put an earbud or an AirPod in your ear? That was no, No, people don't shit. touch my ears. Don't. Don't do it. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then Roy goes down on Keeley. And uh, any anything about any anybody want to say anything about this scene? I do. There are a couple of things. That, well, I mean, I think the setup and the, the you know the payoff there is all fantastic in terms of their relationship. In terms of Roy, Roy getting what it was she was saying about him. I think the the, the healthy sex attitudes, all that was great. I also think that the scene paralleled the scene where we find out that uh, uh, Jamie is a progeny and takes off his shirt. And then she's like, down boy, whatever. And just to think about the dynamic of that, 
compared to the dynamic here. Um, all good. We all have different kinds of relationships and different kinds of sexual encounters, and that's all fine. But I thought it was interesting that this was such a this was such an intimate moment. And yes, it's sexual, but it wasn't carnal the way the the Jamie version of of that scene was. And both scenes end the same way with the guy going down and us realizing here it comes. But think about the intimacy of even putting in earbuds. Like he's on, he's like actually this part of this sexual experience that's truly just yours. Like even though I'm right here, uh, so I, I just found that. Uh, you know, in terms of looking at where she's come from as a character, I thought that was an interesting piece. That's so much smarter than the thing that I wanted to say, which is, um, I loved the scene. I loved everything about it. But sex doesn't take the place of a present. If you need to buy somebody a thank you present, you cannot <laughs> offer a blowjob and think that those are the same things. I, I'd like to just say that I think we should each get to make that decision on our own. I'm feeling, <laughs> I, I don't want to, like, let me, I, 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 I'm going to go no. on the record here and say, <laughs> if ever, someone wants to thank me, and they think, you know what, believe me, it fits, I'm not going to return it, I'm just putting that, I'm just putting that on the table. Is that, was that inappropriate? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That's fair. I, um, it, you know, I, I've heard before, you can't say, here's your birthday present. It sucks. But if you want to disagree, I, I, I support your decision to do that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We, we all have different love, love languages, uh, boss. So it's, um, it's true. Mine you know. is beards, apparently. Yeah. Right. Yes. Gift gifts. Uh, gift giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, do, do you know when I say love languages, do you know what I'm referencing? Oh, yeah, it's the book that isn't the secret, but I, I always equate them in my mind for some reason. I don't it's a even bunch of love languages. I don't even fully get why you connect those two, but it felt so right when you said it. So I need right? to spend some time. That I That's amazing, but I will spend some time with why that was. I feel like it might be that it's some sort of pseudo pop psychology that takes an actual mental health regiment, like something that you would do in order to improve yourself and boils it down into 70 pages of affirmations is what I've come up with. But also, if you love those books, sorry, I was just an asshole about them. <laughs> I love that. But yes, I, I, I think you're on something there. I like it. I I um. I uh, looked it up because I was like, what are the, I forget what they were, the love line. One is like acts of service. So people, you do things for somebody else. Receiving gifts is another one. Quality time is another one. So it, I forget what, I'm trying to look it up and I'm not doing a good job. But anyway, um, yeah, there's, there's. Uh, words of uh, affirmation. <laughs> words of affirmation, I believe. Uh, yeah, word, right. Words of affirmation you want to hear. Validation from your partner or whatever, or your friend, whatever. Um Coach wants blowjobs. I think he made that abundantly clear. So. Hey, it's in the uh, it's an appendage in the appendix. Boom! Boom. Boom. <laughs> and you said you hated dad jokes, you liar. Uh, also, I'd love, like to point out coach. physical touch is one of the love languages. So actually, that's true. There you go. There, so there you, you go. go. 
I'm so happy we've solved everyone's problems on this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so moving on, uh, it's good to be around the game. Uh, and, and then we cut to, uh, Ted heading outside Richmond at night. Dr. Stone is getting on her bike. Um, uh, she says good night. She thanks for letting him, letting her, uh, her observe the training of that day. And some coaches get quite conspiratorial at the notion. And he says he didn't know he had a choice. Uh, but then he says, um, Besides, most of his conspiracies revolve around the Freemasons on account of a couple of different Disney cartoons. I watched a bunch as a kid, which I just love, loved that. I thought that was, God, I just loved that. That felt like the right tier of Ted Lasso joke to me. Um, she says she'll email the uh, takeaways to Ted from her observations. He says, no, just say it to my face. Uh, you know, reading that email would be like listening to a cover tune of your thoughts. He'd rather hear it uh, from the original artist. She says, there's a wonderful atmosphere here. All the employees are thoughtful and kind, and they actually listen to one another. Um, and uh, that, I mean, where have you ever worked where that's the case? I, I, It's hard to find that, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, that would feel like a, an achievement as a, as a manager or an owner or something. That would feel like an amazing achievement to build that type of team. And so he asked if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Is it that kind of situation? She says that depends. Does everyone agree that being winless with eight straight draws ain't broke? And that is very sobering to Ted. Um, she says heavy is the head that wears the visor, coach lasso, which is a heavy is the head that wears the crown reference. Um, you must have a lot on your mind. I hope we get a chance to sit down and talk about it someday. Um, and he says, good night, doctor. And then she says, yes, you can start calling me doc, which is a very nice, um, moment. And we're only in episode two. And I did a lot of ranting about how I didn't love Dr. Stone's, just how, how standoffish she was. And we, 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 questioned whether or not it was uh, important to do that based on the type of career she has and, and the type of boundaries she was trying to set. Um, but I thought it was really nice that um, she allowed him to do that. Uh, and he says, oh, I was really, really bugging him. And he was really happy about it to, to call her doc. He's like, it's such a great name, uh, nickname. And uh, I uh, completely agree. I think there are two nicknames um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um there are two, I, I have a son named bear. And one of the reasons we named him bear was because bear and doc are the two nicknames that if you have those nicknames, you're the best person ever. So like if someone's nickname is bear or someone's nickname is doc, you're awesome. You're an awesome person. And I've, I've never heard a guy with a nickname bear. That's a dick or a doc. That's a dick. Have you, can you guys refute that? I cannot. I cannot. I don't know what sort of person doc holiday was. Uh, as an individual, but it, it seems like he was uh, efficient at it. Um, I'll agree with you on the bear, though, because uh, the niece I referenced earlier, her name is Claire. So, of course, it's Claire Bear. And I refer to her almost exclusively as Bear. So that'll work. I'll, I'll stand by that one. One very little uh, remembered um, bear character in, in film and TV was um, James Gandolfini played um, a character named Bear in Get Shorty. Um, I love that film, and I think oh. it's totally underappreciated. We can have that conversation another day, but I, I really love Get Shorty. So I do remember Thanks. that character very yeah, clearly. It was fucking awesome. Awesome character. I, I think I might be able to do an actual good segue into an actual point that I have, 
um, going right off nicknames, uh, uh, people being nicknamed Bear. I just got done watching The Bear, the show on Hulu. This is the second time this episode I'm going to mention Jeremy Allen White. He played Lip Gallagher on the American version of Shameless, and he's the love of my life. So I, of course, streamed the entire show in one day. One of his nicknames is Bear. Uh, His name is Carmen Barazzo, and so his sister calls him Bear. That doesn't make sense when your last name is uh, Barazzo, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'll need to look it up. But everybody in the family should be Bear then. That's beside the point. He's great. Uh, To jump off of that point, what I'm going to say about this scene between Dr. Stone and Ted uh, Castleton, one of the things you said about her being standoffish, I think is actually really layered into this scene when Ted says it's a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it situation. And she says, that depends. Do you think that eight straight draws are okay? Uh, it, tying it back to the bear that I just said a second ago, one of my favorite scenes in that show, and the plot doesn't matter that much, but there's a guy who's yelling at bear and saying, uh, this is your dead brother's restaurant. We were running it fine before you got here. We don't need you here, essentially. And he says, then why did he leave it to me? And I feel like in both of those situations, there's a parallel where you can say everything's fine. You could say that this is a it ain't broke, don't need to fix it situation. But there are problems happening. And so I think part of the reason why Dr. Stone was so unwilling to get involved with Ted is because he was so unwilling to acknowledge that there's a problem happening and she can't sort of form a relationship with him until he acknowledges that not everything is as good as he's pretending it is. I love that. And I also, I like love that, Uh, but I, and, and not, but, and I think there's something around. I'm not your average bear um but but really like there's something around that piece you know my 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 wife and as we established i i I married up and i'm as shocked as anyone that we've made it 24 (laughs) years this woman's judgment has failed her in one area horribly terribly terribly. Um, i mean it's, it's ridiculous but but um one of the things for me that i loved about her is that she always forced me to up my game. She was a, I may have told the story before, so I apologize if I did, but she was a a freshman my senior year. We were in a singing group together. The first time we hung out, it was totally by mistake. It was just that, you know, I guess now, thankfully, everybody else in the group were a bunch of flakes. So we end up just the two of us hanging out. And by the end of that night, you know, we kiss, I kiss her, depending on the telling of the story. And I immediately like, I'm like, that was a really poor choice, Orlando. She's a freshman, knock it off. So I go to her dorm room a couple days later to just sort of, you know, sorry about that. And, you know, we shouldn't, people will talk. And I still remember her. I tell a story about her all the time saying, well, if you care what other people think, you're just shallow. And I'm thinking like, nobody talks to me like that. I was like, literally, <laughs> nobody around here talks to me like that. I like her. Like, it was a bit like it was like the launch point for our relationship that she was like, "Eh, shut up with your usual bullshit." It was just great. It was great, yeah. and I just and she's been shutting me up ever since. And I sometimes have to remind myself Thank that God. I very Thank she, God. there was no switcheroo, man. 
There was no bait and switch. You let me know from the jump. I'm going to straighten your ass out. And uh, as I turn 50, it's uh, still uh, still going on. Good for her. But bless that woman. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's sacrificed so much. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I keep That's asking awesome. if her community service hours are up. and uh, <laughs> But apparently not. She's taking, taking one for the team. For all of humanity. Um, uh, Dr. Stone then shares with Ted that Prince, she says, Prince of Tides. He says, Oh, is that your nickname for me? She says, No, that's my favorite book. So now she is allowing a little, a little glimmer of her personality, which was really nice. Um, okay. It, it, just one thing, just as from a production standpoint, Dr. Stone, uh, cannot ride a bike. And it drives me crazy when I, whenever I see it. Um, have you know, did you notice this at all, uh, boss? Yeah. Yeah, I sure did. It's, um, one of my favorite things to notice in movies and TV shows in general is you think of movie stars as being very cool because they do action stunts or because they play super cool people in movies. And you're forgetting that in high school, they were theater kids. So they can't do a lot of these things. Exactly. Exactly. I used I, I watched a lot of the TV show Bones, which sure everything in my episode the episode today related to me is going to be about bones and boning, and that's fine. Um, but there's one episode where uh, Agent Booth has to run across a field, and I guess they couldn't get a better shot. But it does show his legs just sort of flailing wildly as he propels himself down to rescue somebody. And it's the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life because he cannot run. He's physically incapable of it. He's never done it in his life and he's never going to do it again. And a little bit, that's how I felt about Dr. Sharon when she tried to get on the bike and you're like, just give her a different thing. Yes. That's what I thought. I thought the whole thing. So running is also what I notice. I always notice who can run and I'm like, oh, that dude's an actual athlete. Holy shit. Instead of exactly what I, what you said, which is theater kid. That's what I look at it. I go, oh, that's, there was a, a movie I just saw with uh, recently with, with, uh, you know, sort of manly scene of football playing and, and one of the, one of the actors like shot puts the football and I was like, oh, he's never thrown a football before. That's adorable. Like, yeah. He's got the best physique you've ever seen, but it's all gym weight. Uh, he has no idea how to use his body. And that's not to knock theater kids. I was in some plays in high school. It, like, you're sort of my people. It's just that my people shouldn't be in the sun for too long. And we definitely shouldn't try to throw things. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is this is not an attack on theater kids at all. It's just it's just a, a thing where you say, oh, certain physicalities are foreign to certain actors that you're not supposed to know everything as an actor. And and I thought the same thing you did, like, why couldn't they give her something else? And I was like, what are they trying to establish by making her ride a bike to work? And why were they resistant having seen what a train wreck, like her, her walking the bike was and how, how obvious and clear it was that she doesn't know how to ride a bike. Um, why wouldn't they be able to switch it? And I'm, I'm still, stymied by the answer to that. I'm not really sure why that was such an important beat for the production team to have her on a bike to establish quirkiness or independence or that she's an iconoclast. I couldn't figure out what was so important about that rather than have her get in a cab or, but did you guys have an answer for that? I, I don't necessarily have an answer for it. I mean, as you said, I think iconoclast comes close to what 
as I'm thinking about it now, what it, it references, what it brings for me, because it strikes me that she's the kind of person who would have decided, you know, I can, you know, get some exercise in and get my quiet time in and not, you know, make the sky any dirtier than it is. So I, I, I guess I, it landed on me that way. Now I'll say, I didn't think about it with her in the bike. I'll be honest, but now that it's been mentioned in a show where I feel like they've gone to great pains, great lengths to make sure that the soccer at least is passable. And, and Coach Castleton knows a lot more than I do. But the fact that you've consistently said, yeah, that was pretty solid, um, that they did that they did that for the soccer and obviously had to have it in mind, but didn't think to do it for the bike is interesting. So you're saying it's a racist show? That was kind of, I didn't want to just come right out and say it. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm hearing everything. (laughs) All right. So um, we get that nice moment um, uh, of her sharing something for herself. And uh, then we are um, on the, uh, on the next day. Uh, We're in Rebecca's office. Keely uh, tells Rebecca that the people at Dubai air asked specifically for Sam and there's a photo shoot set up for Friday and everybody's excited. Everybody wants Sam to have some recognition. Rebecca, as you might remember, has a fondness for Sam because he was so charming when he came in and he said, Oh God, do you remember that when he was in the office and said, Oh, anyone would be lucky to have, you know, whatever have you, uh, I forget what the exact line was. Do you guys remember? Did she must get romantic, uh, you know, propositions all the time. And that's when she mentioned her own drought, which I thought was very funny. Um, but yeah, she definitely has a liking to him. That was a two aces episode. And, but also, um, they'd had that interaction. If you remember when we we're at karaoke and she hands yes. off her stuff, she hands her stuff off to Sam. So I thought, you know, they, they've, they've kind of shown little moments of, of sweetness. Episode 10 of season one, they're sitting next to each other during the, there's only one thing worse than, uh, this is being alone. Um, you know, that whole speech that Ted does, they sit next to each other too when he does a goldfish bit. So they, they, they're connected in a few ways. Yeah, I believe that the word he uses is uh, romantic overtures, which is so quaint. And usually I would hate that shit, but from Sam, I think it's great. Right, it's kind of cute, right? Like he's so trying to cute. figure out like, how do I say this to a big grown up? Y- yes, yeah, a little bit. And also that uh, if he were to make uh, a pass at somebody who would be a romantic overture, not uh, a hitting on them or whatever. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just that. want to mark, I want to put a, put a little marker on this moment because it might be the final time that a boss um, is charmed by anything cute ever. Ooh. All right. We're going to have to get into that. <laughs> there's, there's, there's still episode eight. Never. If you're ever worried about how far into the darkness I'm getting, just remember, I'll be back for season eight. Our epi- yes. Eight, no, I know. That, eight, that, yeah. that. No, no, no. You're right. That is a good point. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. So um, uh, so everyone's uh, psyched for Sam. Then the door bursts open and Dr. Stone comes in. Sorry, real quick. Is her name Dr. Stone? Because wouldn't that make her Dr. Sharon Stone? And that doesn't feel right. Wait, why am I saying Dr. Stone? I keep saying that, too. I Her keep name saying is Dr. it, too. Fieldstone. Fieldstone. There we go. All right. We're not going to fix I'm so, it. I'm so, we, no, no. We're not going to fix No, I'm so sorry. We can't change that Fieldstone. in post. It's just all of a sudden yeah. I was like, well, her name is Sharon. Sharon I don't think Fieldstone. that they would have just oh been like, 
Her name is Sharon Stone without at least nodding to it. Has anyone noticed that Dr. Fearstone doesn't ride her bike well? Like for the whole That's episode. What, yeah, terrible, <laughs> terrible edits. Field study. Uh, par- apologies. I don't know how uh, how that happened. Dr. Fieldstone, yes. Um, so um, uh, she has not met. She tells Rebecca to call her. Oh, so really interesting. She bar- barges in when she tells Ted not to barge in, but she barges in. It's fine. Okay, who's counting? Then uh, she says, oh, it's so nice to meet you, doctor. Uh, Rebecca says that. She says, call her Sharon. I'm like, okay, all right, like, all right, that's interesting. Um, she wanted to stay, stop by and thank her for the gift uh, basket of bottled water. Uh, Rebecca says, yes, Ted says you didn't need sugar. Uh, and Keely's like, wait, so many other things don't have sugar in them. I thought it was fascinating that Rebecca sent a gift without checking with Keely. That seems like a big oversight to me. Um, anyway, she, she's, oh, we're going to say something, boss? No, it, next line. Okay. Uh, Rebecca is happy to have her join the team, and she thinks that she'll be the boost that they need. So, sort of going into the barging into Rebecca's office, and then also having Rebecca call her Sharon instead of uh, Dr. Fieldstone, um, I think the difference between how how Dr. Fieldstone treats Rebecca and how she treats Ted is that Rebecca is significantly less integral to the team than Ted is. Like, she can't fix the team if Ted isn't on board. She could do whatever the hell she wants to without Rebecca. Rebecca hired her. That's it. Like, I think that she knows from the beginning who needs to be brought on board, much in the same way that Ted knew that Rebecca needed to buy in in the first season. Rebecca doesn't need to buy in now because Ted's already got her. Now it's about fixing Ted for Dr. Fieldstone. I'll just accept that and move on. Um, Higgins is distracted and goes to watch. I don't, I don't know. What I always love to end yeah. conversation. Yeah. I'll accept that. I've, I'm exhausted. Um, so so um, Higgins is distracted, goes uh, watch training out the window, and, and, and he's clearly like, you know, sort of really focused on something happening outside. Um, we got we get teared up by Queen playing and then we get the oneer on Jamie Tart walking out of the locker room. I'm guessing uh boss that you also hated this uh pump up music or no. Ah, uh, I was so confused by what sort of flex Ted was trying to pull on Sam that I couldn't even pay attention to the pump up music. Like, Sam obviously didn't know that Jamie was going to be there. That's right. This was after Sam had told Ted how much it hurt him to not be considered. What is Ted trying to convey by doing it this way? Yeah, it's interesting. And this isn't a thread that I had, you know, pulled on at all when I've gone through the 97 times I've watched this season. But, um, But I do think it's significant. And I do think it's a misstep. Like, I think... Why wouldn't Ted, I mean, other than it, it's a dramatic end to the episode, but like why in terms of Ted and Sam, they've had this conversation. Ted has said, you're a team leader. Why wouldn't he take the opportunity to say, Sam, let me have a conversation with you. I know you're not going to love this, but I have my reasons why. And it, it it's interesting to me because it's, 
it's not that he's someone who just makes decisions and goes away generally, right? Even when he overruled them on benching Roy last season, he heard them out and he made a point of saying, I heard you. I want to do it this way. I respect you both. I value your opinion. So it's, it's just, it's, it's odd to me that around this particular thing, or maybe we're starting to see, you know, some cracks in, in the armor as, as coach Castleton points out, but that he would not just, just tell them. Why would you just yeah. tell them at the yeah. beginning of, of, of uh, not practice? Uh, training. Training. Thank you. My brain yeah. went dead. But why wouldn't you just tell them at the, the beginning of training, look, guys, this was going on. And, you know, if you want to stop by and talk about it, I'm all ears. Yeah. And I think the one of the issues for me, um, a line that we might have skipped over, because we are going to get this done in under three hours is that after uh, Sam said bullshit, they had their talk. Uh, Ted says, I still need to make you run laps. And Sam said, oh, good. I was hoping you would. Like, Sam is not going to be a person that would react badly to a decision made by the coach when he understands the decision. If Ted said, I know that you don't like him, but I'm telling you, Jamie has changed and we will make him change and we will make this work, but he's coming back. I feel like Sam would have been open to that. But the way that it's left makes it seem like Ted was just being a dick for no reason. Yeah, it's not it's not his finest moment as a coach. I think it's a great moment that he made the choice to bring um, to bring Jamie in. I think that's a great choice for Ted as a, you know, quote unquote person as a character. Yeah. But the handling of it is odd and does parallel the like not letting Nate know. Um, yeah. There's a little interesting, I mean, I'm kind of bumping into this in real time, but there, maybe we're starting to see that some things are wearing down on Ted and he's not seeing as much of the field as he did in season one, as you point out, Coach Castleton. And, and that could be because heavy, you know, heavy, uh, heavy is a head that wears the visor. Um, and that just went through a divorce that he hasn't really fully processed. So uh, there may be some things there. Hi, I'm going to jump right on there and say that the divorce is not the only thing that he hasn't processed. Well, yeah. Although we'll get into that later. But but that also, uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast that in my day job, I'm an accountant. And one of the things we do is get everything right 90% of the time. So like, there's a level of materiality. If it's within a certain percentage, we're like, oh, this is fine. This is close enough. This is great. I think that there's an element of Ted style that tackles 90% of the issues that the team is going to run into and that Jamie and Nate and this interaction with Sam are part of that 10% that his method is not equipped to fix. Like he just can't yeah. get into a lot of the stuff. Interesting. I, I, I see that. I see that. Uh, not to be binary about this, but the last thing Sam heard on the subject was Ted said it wasn't going to happen. I told Jamie it wasn't yes. going to happen. Yeah. So no, seriously. Then it, hap- then it happens. So that is a lie. That, that is dishonest. So, so, Coach, can you think of many other things that would hurt your coaching ability? Yeah, no, really. Than, than losing the trust of your players? No, it's terrible. And, I, and that he wouldn't – it seems so easily addressed to say, yes, that was my decision. I'm now making a new decision. Just stop by his locker and tell him. I mean, you don't have to like it. You don't have to say, what do you think? Should I do it? You should say, I've decided this is what I'm doing. 
I have my reasons. I'm asking you to trust me. Or I know you're not going to like it, but we have a whole, you know, we have a whole franchise here to run. And this is a decision. But to not say anything and let that sort of be a, a shock out on the field. Not not Ted's finest coaching moment. And he knows about those tough conversations. He went and sat next to to Roy in the stands, right? I mean, he's it's not this is not someone who's unfamiliar with the dynamics. So it, it was weird. It's weird to me. We can't reasonably expect Ted to know everything. And I don't want to be uh, I want to make sure people understand. Uh, we don't I, I, from, I'm speaking for myself. Some of the criticism that I that I uh, sort of rained down on the season uh, season two of Ted Lasso is feels like it's like well Ted supposedly knows everything and he doesn't know everything. he's not going to know everything it, but it's how he addresses the moments where he doesn't know anything like when you know he's going to be faced with situations like Danny in the shower with his with his kid on crossing himself <laughs> I mean who who would know how to Right. Contend with that. Right. And he didn't know in that moment. And then what happens is I don't expect uh, Ted to always know. And I don't expect Beard to always know. But I expect the two of them together because they're this weird codependent mm. thing. You know, Beard not knows when to nudge Ted. Beard knows when to notice things that Ted misses. That You know, there's there's um, there's that, that sort of teamwork. And they generally cover – you know, most of the bases for, for any management uh, of the franchise. But when you see this, you say, okay, this is just, for me, I'm like, okay, this is, they needed a cliffhanger. They needed a TV mm-hmm. moment. And so they just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the production team decided to cut out whatever scene. It wasn't working in post uh, with Ted talking to Sam. And they thought this is going to, you know, fuck it. We don't need it. Like, let's just have him come out. But, but they chose also to focus on, one shot of Sam staring at Ted and then the, another shot, the, the, the reaction shot is Ted staring back, but we don't know if he's, it doesn't really look like he's staring at Sam. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, you know it, I'm like, it, I, it feels like that. Don't, don't turn, you know, somebody's looking at you, whatever it is. It's because they want to make you laugh. It's because they're pissed off, whatever, you know, they're looking at you and you are actively not meeting their eye. That was more what I read in the Ted shot than right. they, than they right. were looking at each other. Yeah. That was significantly more Michael Scott than Ted Lasso. Like I'm just not going to make eye contact. And if I don't make eye contact, then I don't need to acknowledge the shitty thing I just did. I really, yeah, that's like a really that, good point. Boss, man. <laughs> Gave me a chance to share my thoughts on blowjobs. And then you end it with this. I mean, you really, <laughs> you outdid yourself this time. If I have a conversation where people can't share their thoughts on blowjobs, I feel like I've done a bad job. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, we cut up to the the uh, executive suite where everyone is still watching this with various degrees of holy shit looks on their face. Um, Keely is watching intently, and we have this final shot of Rebecca looking at Keely and then this very, very, I don't know. Is it Machiavellian? What smile is it that creeps yeah. across Rebecca's face? I don't know, but there was, a, I felt like there was a lot going on there. I gotta say. And, and I, in the moment I find, I found myself as this episode ending going, wait a minute, did Keely get in Ted's ear? Like is, is Keely why that's happening the way it's happening right now? Like what, 
it felt like some some other string had been pulled, and I was trying to figure out, okay, which string was that that was pulled? Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I, I I didn't love it. Shockingly, go figure. Um, and also maybe started running tally of how many times I'm going to say that for season two. Um, but it did feel a little bit like back to back having Jamie come back without any notice to the rest of the team. It, a, a good wait, wait, boss, move. boss, boss. When you say you didn't love it, are you talking about the Jamie reveal? Or are you talking about the Rebecca look at Keely? Well, I was specifically saying the Rebecca look at Keely, although I will say the same thing for the Jamie reveal. It felt a lot more like something that writers implement in order to move the story forward rather than actual organic developments based on characters doing things. Like maybe Rebecca. But isn't that a huge, isn't that a huge thing about this show? Like, isn't that what we love about the show? Like if you go down to the core the core values of what this show is. Like we loved that they were smart enough to make us think that Keely was going to be masturbating either in the bed with Jamie, right. Or masturbating to Jamie, right. Yeah. Something along those lines. They're so smart about it that they, they took us on a little trip against ourselves. But that's and intentionally this, subverting the tropes that yes. people have developed. This is playing into it. There's nothing about this. That's a subversion. Ted that's what I'm, that's what I'm yeah. saying. That isn't that why it feels so disappointing is because yes, it does yes. feel no, like sorry, shit. They knew they needed that. a cliffhanger and they, so they gave us a cliffhanger. They, right. They, they didn't give it. us a cliffhanger that makes sense or that goes along with Ted as a character or that goes along with beard as a character. Cause you have to figure that he knew what was going on. He never stepped in to tell Ted, Hey, knock it the fuck off. Rebecca. I am sure that in Rebecca's mind, what she was thinking is, oh, well, this will be a little bit of gossip between me and Keely. But in the show, it develops this almost love triangle between Jamie, Roy, and Keely that we don't need and we don't want to yeah. materialize. Like, yeah, we, it, we don't need this to be Rebecca looking smugly about it because it's going to be fun. It's not a thing. Jamie and Keely aren't happening. Mm. Like, it, it just felt very routine. And not in a way that either surpassed or subverted our expectations. Coach, um, in, in, uh, in that you have described how much you love a strong woman who kicks the ever-living shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in past seasons, you have uh, told us about how attracted you are to the uh, power and dynamism of Rebecca. Oh, yes. What was, on a scale of one to 10, what was your um, attraction level when she smirked? Oh, not, it, it, as, uh, if not the low point on the attractometer for the series, it was pretty close to it. I didn't love that moment. Because there was no, I guess for me, there's no interpretation of that smirk that I find particularly interesting. Like if it is, ooh, Jamie's back, he's cute, used to sleep with him. I'm like, whoa, she's like in a real relationship. Like, what kind of friend are you? And if it's, you know, that somehow they were a party to this, let's make it a surprise. I also go, what the hell's going on there? So there was nothing... Oh, that's interesting. So what yeah. about, what if it's this? Uh, it, maybe it couldn't be this based on your what you saw. Mm-hmm. What if she was learning about this for the first time and she looked at Keely and then she smirked and thought, holy shit, we're going to win. It's a different, it's definitely a different read. I would be into that because I think in some ways 
she's wanted the team to win, but I don't know that she's been that like we haven't seen I don't feel like we've seen that from her. Like not just like rooting, but beyond rooting, like really starting to think about the dynamics of the team in that way and like why having Jamie specifically would be so great. So I like it, but that was not at all like if I listed five interpretations of that moment that interpretation probably still wouldn't have been on my list, but it's interesting. Yeah. I didn't pick that up as an interpretation either, only because it seems like it would have been a uh, Rebecca smiling, then looking at Keely and then maybe not smiling. Like once she looked at Keely and realized, Oh, this might be a thing here. It, it, she wouldn't still be excited about it. Like she wouldn't be smirking at Keely if she thought, Hey, we're going to win the whole fucking thing now. Like it, it read differently from that. So, okay. So as we close up here, I think it's safe to say that out of the three of us, we would generally feel like this wasn't Ted Lasso's best coaching moment. Uh, it would be the low, like sort of the, maybe the coach Bishop position, like, okay, you know, whatever, this is not, I'll concede that this is not his, his finest choice. Um, and then on the other side of the, of the range, it might be uh, boss and I saying something like, Oh, they, they edited a scene out where Keely was working on Ted or they edited something. So we, we can't discern what that, why the team wouldn't, they, maybe they edited out a scene where Ted told the team or had a, had a, had a, um, a scene with Sam where he explains it, but one way or another, it seems to to me at least um, like either we're missing something or they made a TV choice that wasn't necessarily congruent with other choices that they made in, in uh, previous episodes. Yeah, and I, I I like Boss's point around it being the same beat twice, and and as a writer, I know I've been guilty of that before where I feel like I've some, you know, I, but it's different in this way, but ultimately it's not different. And I do think this is the same beat twice. Ultimately. I noticed that you, uh, several times this episode, you have mentioned all the things that you love that uh, boss says. And, um, I don't remember you saying anything that I said. Well, generally my favorite thing from you is goodbye. Mm-hmm. On that note, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back. You guys have been friends for like 30 years. You put put on this bullshit when you get in front of your other friends, your podcast friends. You're like, oh, we don't like each other. We don't spend all the time telling each other how much we love each other. Liars. You're liars. On on that wonderful additional note, uh, we thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Season 2, Episode 3. And uh, we we hope you uh, have enjoyed this episode. And we are, as always, Richmond till we die. I'm going to say it one of these times. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com. <laughs>